What's up, Sifters? It's Game Face, episode 58, getting close to number 60 here on Sifted Games. Hope everyone is having an excellent evening. I know we are. We just had a another 30-minute conversation about Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> off, off stream, so you don't have to. So you didn't have to hear it, yeah. But, uh, man, that game just keeps on going. It yep. just doesn't seem to be losing momentum. Uh, it's really crazy. Probably the biggest, I don't know if it's the biggest video game story I've known since I started being into video games. It's pretty crazy. I mean, I went to the tar pits like in like Monday or Tuesday evening. There were like two hundred people there, and it's they were really all playing. I've never seen that park that full in twelve years of living here. And like it's all it's all people like walking around. There's like two hundred people walking around talking about Charmanders. And, like you hear just like. Anyone, even if it's like two, oh, those two people are on a date. Oh, those two guys are just going to the store. Those two, no, you, they walk past. are like, well, I used an Ultra Ball, but I mean, I think I might have wasted. My ball, I might have only needed a Great Ball for that. And then, like, there were three people that had set up chairs and a laptop, and they were live streaming in the I middle know. of the park. I mean, it's crazy. I know. My wife cares more about Pokemon Go than I do. <laughs> That's insane. I've, my wife has never cared about any video game ever mm. more than I do, and this is the exception. Oh, and I'll, uh, I do want to say this that. Um, just in case you ever doubt this man's dedication to you, uh, this is today is Shane's wife's birthday. It is, and yeah. we are here. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm gonna regret it. <laughs> but he would not. He would not abandon the sifters and the game facers. He yeah, there's a there's a long story behind it. She wasn't supposed to be here. She was supposed to go away for her birthday. But uh, I'm still gonna regret it. Let me tell you, <laughs> I'm gonna pay for this one, sifters. So. Uh, let's see. One thing I want to talk about right off the top of the show, questions for Pactor. Get them in now. Pretty much only the people on the stream still have the opportunity to uh, ask questions uh, as far as us messaging it out. Uh, I'd leave first thing early tomorrow morning to go and shoot with Pack tomorrow. So if you have any last-minute questions, make sure you get them in on the thread in our forums. There's also a uh, large graphic on the homepage that will point you to it if you can't find it in the forums. So get your questions in before it's too late, and it is almost too late. Uh, new show launched yesterday, Geif. Seems to be mostly positive response. few people here and there saying it's too random, too quick for them. Totally get it. Not every show is going to be for everybody. Uh, as I said at the open, the theme of the show is that there is no theme. It's going to be different every time depending on what kind of stuff we have, what kind of content we've got to work with. Uh, but there is kind of a purpose behind the show. And a big part of that is kind of filling in the blanks that are left behind by Game Face. So... You know, we have six topics a week on Game Face. Right now, it's tough to find six big topics for Game Face, but within a month, that's not going to be a problem at all. It'll be, we'll be back to, like, cutting topics off of Game Face uh, instead of just trying to find six for each episode. But we don't talk about, like, a lot of indie games and smaller games, a lot of cultural stuff on this show. Uh, and so, you know, we want to make sure that Sifted kind of serves everybody and it can provide content for everyone, no matter what kind of games that they're into. And so that show is going to kind of act as a filler for stuff that we can't get to on our flagship show here on Sifted. So really appreciate the positive response from a lot of you guys. Appreciate the constructive criticism as well. Um, totally understand some people aren't going to like it. It is different. But I told you guys from the beginning when I launched Sifted that if we can't do it differently, we're not going to do it. And we're sticking to that. And it's really hard. I might add, mm. it'd be very easy to just sit down and play a video game for an hour every day and just sit there and blather on about it. But there's so much of that content out there already that we try to do things differently on Sifted. And uh, hopefully you guys appreciate that. So anyway, Geif, it'll be usually more than once a week. Uh, I can do those episodes pretty quickly as long as I have enough material to do them. Uh, it's not a big production where we have a bunch of people here to do it. 
so yeah, it should be pretty frequent, and you guys should be getting plenty of Gaif in your life. Uh, one last thing before we move on, we want to talk about Marvel Ultimate Alliance, which I did talk about in Gaif today a little bit, but Matt wanted to share his impressions of the just, Ultimate just Alliance because ports. I like those games, and I totally would buy like upgraded versions of them, but like... Bite me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 60 bucks for the two of them. Like, like, the first one doesn't even have the DLC. Yeah. And I know that's because they up, you know, they're, they're using, working, I think, off the PC version, which didn't have the DLC characters, which are only, only on 360. But, like, that's not an excuse. Like, like do some work, Activision. The new Jeez. PC versions are a disaster. Oh, they're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so, was it a disaster back? On them. Yeah, was it, was it a disaster back when it launched at first? I, I played I never, the console versions. Yeah, of I those. never played the PC versions of those. But I played the PC versions of the new ones, and it's they're a disaster, man. Like, I, mean, it, I would have done it again, but uh, I mean that I'm is like, like I said in Guy, if it's the epitome of the cash in. Like that is what I mean in the dictionary next to cashing in. If that were in the dictionary, it would have the logo of Marvel Ultimate Alliance, like, right there. So, yeah, do not waste your money on those games. In fact, you can probably go back and find, like, the original versions for, like, five bucks. No, they were very, very expensive. Really? Yeah, because they were, they were out of print, couldn't get them. And if you had DLC, the DLC code or whatever, it was a big deal. Like, like on eBay, you can't find them for like five or ten bucks. Maybe now that these things are out, but for a long time, I mean, you were talking a hundred dollars. What? Especially for the second one. Are you kidding yeah. me? Oh yeah, they were very, they were super valuable. Wow. Yeah. And when I hear this stuff, it, it makes what makes me hurt so bad about even getting like, robbed. Even like, like the shitty Spider-Man games were, were are worth money because they don't make them anymore, and you right. can't get them on Steam or whatever. So like yeah. you know, people were ready for that to happen with Deadpool too, but they brought it back. They renewed the license. Yeah. So um. No, those like those license games. They did like Wolverine. I think that Wolverine Origins game that was like way better than anyone expected it should ever have been yeah. from Raven. Like that, that was commanding a pretty high price for a while. It's weird. Like like, it's just it, it's just because you can't get it. You know? Yeah, it's not necessarily because it's good. That's what that that's what hurt about getting robbed is like they all these games that were stolen that used to sit behind me. I mean, there is probably 50% of them were still in shrink wrap, like mm-hmm. brand new. And like a lot of, and what I had done before I brought games in here was I had taken out like all the really good games. So what was left behind was games like Gladius for GameCube. But then you tell me that that game's worth like $100. Like, there's a, there's a, definitely a following for Gladius. Yeah, like, so, you know, that's the part that sucks. Like all those mm-hmm. games that are out of print, I'll never get them back, let alone get one that's still in shrink wrap. That's always the thing. It's like if it's out of print and you can't get it on PC. Yeah, it'll be worth something. Worth a lot of money. Yeah, uh, certainly. And and of course, you know, it cracks me up that like uh, I just picked up because I didn't have the PC versions of the High Moon uh, Transformers games because but they went on sale uh, last week or over the weekend or something, and I picked those picked the, the two of them up for like fifteen bucks. And it was amazing to me that I looked at Fall of Cybertron. Fall of Cybertron came out in 2012. It's yeah. a four-year-old game, and Activision still wants fifty bucks for it. Wow. I'm like, really? Activision doesn't really do a lot of deals, no. though. I mean, no. it just doesn't. Like, that's why you can you still go try to buy Black Ops Three. Like, it's still full price. Yep. Like, that's just, and it's smart because their I mean, games they don't have to. Their but... games do have legs, and people want to buy them like way on down the road. So I can understand it from a. It's one of those things where I just you know it was on sale for like fifteen bucks or something, but I, I just noticed the main the normal price was fifty, and I'm like, wow, yeah, that's, that's a four year old game based on toys, and you still want half a half a G for it. That's amazing. <laughs> That's that's crazy. It is crazy. But you want to know what isn't crazy? The Big Six. 
He's, he says that, but the first thing we're going to talk about involves the word mania. Yeah, that's a so. good point. So we're going to talk about Comic-Con in a little bit, as you can see from the rundown in the graphics. So we want to talk about sort of the context of Sonic too much, but wow, what a week it was for the Blue Hedgehog. Three, yeah. three separate announcements, all in the, in the span in the, of like a day. In the weirdest live stream of all time. Well, I mean, I would still... There's There's been a lot of presentations that were worse than that. Like... The thing about the Sonic 25th anniversary party live stream was that it was just technical issues. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time. It's happened to us many times. It was happened earlier when your mic was hitting your shirt or whatever. Like, that yeah. stuff happens. Yeah, but we don't have a man dressed as Sonic the Hedgehog on a stage trying to make people sing lyrics to Sonic R racing songs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... There, I didn't it, find it, it all that weird. I mean, I know Jim Sterling said it was like it was like finally the Konami press conference has been outdone. No I don't agree with that. Way. It's not uh, even in the same league no. as the Konami, or like in a lot of other press conferences. To be perfectly honest, like there's been a ton that have been like way worse. Like there's yeah. the Jamie Kennedy Activision thing. Yeah. Like there's. I mean, it's like be, trust me. Like there were a lot of technical problems in this in the Sonic thing, but like. There were no technical problems when I was at, like, the Sony 2006 conference in person. Right. And it was still, like, it was, it was like, one of those, it must be, it was, it was, like, to be at, like, one of the political conventions right now where you're like, I'm watching history right now. Like, <laughs> what I am seeing right now will be talked about for years. Or, like, they'll put it in, like, <laughs> like history books for, yeah. like, high school students to learn from, like, 40 years from now. Like, scholars yeah. will argue about how many eyes should be in Ridge Racer. Yeah. Like, it's... it's <laughs> Yeah, it, to me, it wasn't up to those levels. It was really awkward. And yeah. I don't know if you heard the story about what happened, but, like, apparently the mix the mix board died, like, mm. right before the show started, and they that didn't have a backup. Things. And so they were hardwiring, like, everything in. And it was just, like, a mad scramble. I guess they delayed it 30 minutes to try to fix everything, and they were just, like, finally, like, they had to just go for it. And then apparently one of their workers, like, had an accident and had to be taken to, like, the hospital. Like, it was just this insane... Mm. culmination of circumstances that amounted to it being a total train wreck. And it was a total train wreck. Like, the audio and the whole thing was just terrible. Like, I mean, kind of par for the course with that franchise. Yeah, <laughs> how appropriate it yeah. was. So let's talk about the actual games that they showed. So the first one, and I think the one that will be near and dear to most people's hearts, is Sonic Mania. Mm. Um, 2D, side-scrolling Sonic game. Uh, honestly, probably... The only style of Sonic games that have been good for the last decade or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, I, you know, I mean, I'm, Sonic 4 was okay. Yeah, but yeah. That was for GBA, right? Sonic, Sonic 4? 4? No, that was the episodic one for, like, oh, downlo- right. downloadable. Right, like, right. They did Sonic... two episodes and called it quits, basically. Yeah. But this looks like, you know, going back to the basics is never bad for Sonic. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. It looks awful similar. I mean, they oh, say yeah. it has a lot of the same zones, but they're supposed to be remixed, and then there are new zones. But I think it's just it's an indictment on how far this franchise has fallen that people are at the point where they're just like, you know what? Just give me Sonic <laughs> 1 over again, and I'll be happy with that. At least I know it's a decent game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how excited are you for this, Matt? Hey... Yeah, I think you pretty much just took the word right out of my <laughs> mouth. <laughs> I mean, I'll play it. I like I like the I I think the best Sonic game is the first one. Yeah, it is. Uh, I know yeah. most people think two. Yeah. Uh, and I think an argument can be made for CD. So I think I mean honestly, um, I think Sonic CD is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. I Sonic Sonic One. Uh, pe- people forget how much of like a like a revelation that was at oh, the yeah. time. 
Like I remember, Blast I played processing. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> it, there were also real things. But, what, but, but I mean, look, but it was like, really fast. It like, was, but like that was people, a rarity back well, then. Well, people also forget that, like you know, a few levels are fast. A lot of it was pretty, you know, standard platforming. There was a lot of real, real. I was platforming never that good play. at the game, so it was. I was not as mm. fast as most players were at that but, game. Like my friend Rob, I didn't have a Genesis at the time. My friend Rob had one, and he got Sonic, or he maybe rented it. I don't know. That was back 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 when you could rent games from Blockbuster yeah. Video. And uh, we we played it, and I, I like I stayed over that back night. Back when Blockbuster Video play, existed, yeah. <laughs> and I played, uh, I played, and he played it, and we went back and forth. And finally, he went to sleep. He fell asleep, and I kept playing. And I finished the game, and I, as soon as the credits finished rolling, I started again. Yeah. At four in the morning. Like I, I've done that with maybe three games in my life, yeah. and like that, that was amazing. That game was just amazing. Blue no, I remember the first time I saw it and played it. I was just like, my eyes were like. The size of dinner plates. Mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, like, holy cow. And even like, uh, the, what struck me back then was the quality of the animation in the game. Yeah. Like, compared to like Mario and stuff yeah. like that that I had been playing. And the personality and the fact that he would break the fourth wall if you left him alone and like, he'd like look at you and tap his The idle like, animations and all that yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, there was a lot about that game that really struck me when mm-hmm. it came out. But the personality just wasn't there in Nintendo's Mario series. It really wasn't. Not for a long time. But it, 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 it got in there. Yeah, very quickly. Probably, I mean, because probably because of, of Sonic. I mean, that was yeah. a heated competition between yeah. Mario and Sonic, man. Like, it was like, well, do Ninten- or die. Nintendo has, like, flat out given credit to Sony, like, to Sega, where they're, they're like, we would not have made a You know, we would have just stuck with the NES if, like, the Genesis hadn't started gaining ground and pushing us yeah. to release something bigger and better. And, uh, like you always say, competition, like, that worked out real well for us. Yeah, it, always, it almost always does. And that's the beauty of it. That's why I always preach that, you know, more the more consoles, the better. The more competition, the better. So, I mean, I, w- I would give this a lukewarm rating, in all honesty. Yeah. I mean, I-, I feel like I'm at the point now where I'm kind of burnt out on Sonic. I hate to even admit that. I mean, it's cool that they're, like, willing to make this game. Yeah. Right? You know, like, that they'll... You know, who knows what the sales on this will be, but, like, I think they're... they're you know, there's there's definitely a feeling of, like, well, well they're, they're listening. Yeah. Because that's really the question. It's like, what's so different about this than the last four 2D Sonic games that they made? I mean, there well, really isn't one. Well, this looks like it could have been a Genesis game. Yeah. I mean, is that, is that intentional? I think so. I mean, the game does not look that good. No, I think I think it's a throwback in that regard on, on, on They purpose, want it to look sure. kind of blurry and jagged. I think so. I think they want it to look like a Genesis game. Because I noticed, like, the trailer for this, only they only released it in 720p. They didn't mm-hmm. put it out in 1080p. And I was like, that's a little odd for I think, a modern I game. I think that's intentional. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to go with it. Uh, but, like, so far, response has been pretty positive. So, we'll see. I mean, it's not like... You know, Super Mario Maker was definitely a similar kind of thing, but Super Mario Maker was HD. Yeah. And definitely, you know, you could do the retro, but you could also do, like, you know, the modern stuff and make it look really cool. Um, This is clearly not on the level of Super Mario Maker. Yeah, yeah. But it's not a game tool either. No. But it is nice to just sort of, you know, it it feels like the best thing they could do right now to acknowledge that, like, yeah, this was pretty good back then, and maybe we still got it in us somewhere. I wonder if Sonic will ever have another game that sells in, like, the millions. Do you think they ever will? I, I can't imagine what they would have to do to make that happen. Um, unless you want to count, like, Smash Brothers. Yeah. Or, like, Mario and Sonic die in a river of shit in the Olympics <laughs> in Rio. Get the Zika virus. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's, the, here's another chance for them to do that. Project Sonic 2017, the other game announced at the 25th anniversary party 
I would say that I'm probably even less excited for this one than I certainly trust it less. Than Mania. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm still not even 100% sure that it's going to be a 3D Sonic because it's made by the same team that made Sonic Generations. And look, we only have this trailer to run, and in a minute we're going to run more footage, but it's going to be from Sonic Generations because this is sort of the sequel to that game. Mm. So don't think we're showing you like gameplay from this that's not really been shown yet. All we have is this sort of CG trailer. But I'll, I kind of take them because look, I think Generations is probably the best modern Sonic game. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, I will play more of that if that's what they want to do. Uh, and it kind of that, that game like obviously varied between 2D and 3D. Yeah, yeah, it had its 3D it sections. Yeah, and I think that's probably the sweet spot. I think so. Yeah, give give me a little of both. Seems yeah. to be the best way to do it. Because I mean, otherwise, if you make it just 2D, it's redundant with Mania. Mm-hmm. It's still going to be a little bit redundant with Mania. You'll see in the Sonic Generations footage we show in a bit, most of it's side-scrolling. Yeah. It looks just like Mania. Yeah. And I, I do also enjoy the fact that Sonic doesn't really seem to find the fact that there's a, there's a totally different version of himself yeah. around to be that weird. Yeah. Like, no, he's like, hey, there you are. Like, oh, yeah, I used to look like that for some reason. Okay. I mean... The one thing I will say about that CG trailer that bothers me just a little bit is that one... I think the problem with Sonic is that once they took him into the real world or some weird mm. semblance of what the real world is, that's where it all started going downhill. Yeah, they lost... Like, you look at the first kind of... Sonics, it's just this total, like, psychedelic, mm. like, gameplay, like, area. It's not, like, running through a city or, like... Yeah. I don't know. It's Cause like... Because, like, like, once you shift it to that, it's... Then a lot of questions come up, and you end up with things like where the the, the princess woman girl like kisses him, and like you're like he doesn't even, does he even have lips? I don't yeah. know. That, <laughs> and like, it, like it just gets uncomfortable in a lot yeah. of ways. And like, there's also those moments in like Sonic Adventure where you're like, wow, this is like really good looking for the time. Yeah. Um, but then you're sort of like, did I ever really want to run around a small city block and talk to people as no. Sonic? And like, no one reacts to the fact that a three foot monster is like yeah. basically asking them stuff about rings and there's a fox with a plane and a, an obese cat the size of a car is running around right. with a fishing like, like like it never Bates. like it is, and also like i mean i know the the Jap- in japan like the, the games are always supposed to be on earth yeah and in north america sega of america kind of changed it to be this planet mobius and it was more of a, a you know sort of a fantastical thing um, because I think the visuals of the Genesis games lend themselves to a For more sure. fantastical setting, yeah. and to find out that like oh that like thing with all the the casino with all the pinball bumpers and stuff, yeah, it's to- that's like I don't know, that's like totally supposed to be in, in on Earth. It's like okay, yeah. Like, <laughs> the problem mm. with it is the Sega never hit the brakes. Like it never saw the train wreck coming. The yeah, wall was coming. Gotta go fast. It's like it. It kept going down that path of let's integrate Sonic into the real world. It never worked. And in every game, they took a step further until Sonic 2006, which is the bottom of the pit, basically, for the franchise. Although I will always wonder if that game would have been, you know, kind of Sonic Adventure 1 passable if, like... It worked. Yeah, you know, a lot of that game's problem was that it was buggy. And a, it was on. It was basically a beta. They saw yeah, it really was. Yeah, uh, you're talking about minute long load times to get like two lines of text and stuff. Um, Nine point five from Play Magazine. Well done. <laughs> Thanks, Dave Halverson. Yeah, I think good, look, he's, good looking out. I think he's still trying to live that one down. Yeah. Well, he did drop the score to an eight point five after <laughs> the whole after point. realizing they weren't going to fix all the issues they told him they were going to fix. <laughs> 
That, that's one of the, that's Trusting the most... Trusting a That game is publisher. the most mind-boggling game review I have ever read in my life. That, was, that yeah. blew my mind. I think I would say if there is one review, and you know, people throw this around all the time, that review's paid off, and you know, they're running mm-hmm. ads on the page, and blah, blah, blah. If there's ever one review in the history of game journalism where I looked at it and was like, hmm, maybe... Mm-hmm. Something shady did happen there. But, like, but, that was it. But the actual story of that is just, Dave Halverson loves video games. And he loves Sonic. And he has trouble, he always had trouble seeing flaws in them. He just enjoyed them. But There's then also that's the story you of hand the, it to somebody else to review. Yeah, but that's not, that wasn't his style. Well. There are so many stories. I, mean, so I don't many, think it's style. It's right. either you understand, like, the right way to handle editorial or you don't. Well, yeah. Like, he but, just uh, well, I mean, But there are so many stories of Game Fan Magazine when, like, you know, all the various antics... Um, and then there's of course the uh, the the story where you know because everyone wondered what he played when he gave Cybermorph this crazy high review score on the Jaguar, mm-hmm. um, and late like years and years later, former employees claimed that they spiked his coffee with LSD before he went in to play the game. What? And like that's why that it can't was, be true. That's that's what Kevin claimed. I've heard that story multiple times. Seen it on like NeoGAP and other places. You go to prison for doing stuff like that. Nah, I'm sure there's a statute of limitations. <laughs> well, not now, obviously, but <laughs> that's a huge risk to play a prank on your boss. Game fans seem to be kind of the wild west in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, I honestly never trusted game fans' reviews. Like, I would read it. I'd read every gaming mag back in the day. So, so would I. But like, game fan always came off really weird to me, and like, kind of yeah. had this strange sort of worship of the Japanese import scene, and like, then yeah. you'd like. You know, after all these, I mean, literal months of issues, like, praising this, you know, the Genesis Batman game, and finally, like, my couple of friends and I, like, pooled our money to import it, and it was not good! Like, yeah. it, was, it looked nice, it was it made for a great high-res screenshot in the magazine, but, like, we're playing, it's like, this isn't, this isn't fun, like, this is yeah. just, like, a another crappy license game, what the hell was it? You know, and, yeah. and it's like, when, it was one of those things where it was like, most people were never going to know that. Because you, you know, most people didn't import stuff, right? Yeah. So it was kind of a safe way to be sort of like, "Hey, this is awesome. We're all, we're the ones showing it to you, and we got to play it." And da da da. But it's like you'll never be able to call that bluff. You couldn't do that today. Well, with import games, you should be even more critical because for people in the United States to import those games, it costs so much freaking yeah, money. Yeah, you have to pay a premium, and often you can't read anything. Yeah. So you, it better be a really intuitive experience if you can't read Japanese. Or you better give it a really low score and be like, "Don't bother with this because yeah. of the language barrier." It's kind of like what we do with Sifted, like. A lot of the Japanese content that we get that's in Japanese, we rate it really low. And we'll mention in the blurb, mm-hmm. you know, how big of an issue the language barrier is to know, so people know whether they should click on it or not. Yeah. So, so the, tangent, but like just Sonic 2006 always reminds me of that review. That was, that yeah, was, I uh, mean, every for everybody it does. Yeah. I mean, that was one of those days back when people used to use AIM. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally the whole industry was on, like, AOL Instant Messenger. I had like 500 people in my list, and like when that review came out, like everybody just jumped on AIM and was like, "What the what? Are you freaking kidding me? Like, did mm-hmm. he play the game that we played? Like, people say that a lot. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've, I've said that, me? but I've never really meant it. Meant it, yeah. except <laughs> when normally I read... it's just like a figure of speech. It's just something you yeah. say to make a point. But in that case, it was really like. Did he get a build that like ran better than like everybody yeah. else, or like, like did they what? cut out half of the cutscenes? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we don't want to talk about that game too much. Uh, let's talk about the final piece of the Sonic puzzle from the past week, Sonic in LEGO Dimensions. Sure, why not? <laughs> you know, one thing I will say about LEGO Dimensions is that it has proven that it can make a lot of different properties work within mm-hmm. its framework. But I think this is the first one that I looked at 
And, and look, they just put out a trailer with, like, Mr. T in it, and I was yep. okay with that. They got Mr. T, they got Gremlins, they have Goonies coming up. They have, I mean, if you can think of it from the 80s, it, it's in LEGO Dimensions. Well, I think point. the biggest problem is that it just doesn't look like Sonic. It look, just looks like a LEGO guy with a Sonic head put on it. And yeah. his, his legs are, like, way too long. Like, it just doesn't look like him. When he's, when he's driving, it looks a little closer because you can't see his body, but... Does he have, um... Does he have the red shoes? I, I missed. I didn't look. Uh, I didn't look. I don't know. Now he's flying around the DeLorean. And now he's in a mech. <laughs> yeah, he's, got, he's got the red shoes. Yeah. But I mean, to it, me, I mean, look, I'm sure people who play Lego Dimensions, not me, I'm sure all the kids Adventure will time. love it. You know, they're going to eat it up and they'll be like, oh my gosh, it's Sonic. I love Sonic. Sonic but, in a black and white Doctor Who episode. That's amazing. But to me, this is Sega struggling to keep Sonic <laughs> relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Sonic's in better games, finally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took the Atari collection expansion pack to do it. But... I thought that was Portal right there. Is that what that was? Where? Atari, the Atari expansion? I thought he was riding around on a turret from Portal. He was, but, I, but that's like there's an Atari level pack that lets you play like all these classic Atari arcade games. I think he, so I think he was in like Super Sprint. It is interesting that they have specifically kind of created these levels so that it does kind of work as Sonic. Mm-hmm. I, How I, funny would it be if this like ended up being better than Project Sonic? Well, it's, it's, well it'll be way shorter, but it's, yeah. it might be a better that experience. That might be yeah. a better thing overall. So, I mean, that's like I mentioned, it's not a bad game. You no, Sonic, no, if you can no, play no. Sonic through the whole thing, it might be actually one of the better Sonic games. That's the sad truth of it all, honestly. Um, Lego Dimensions, by the way, you know, not really releasing a sequel this year. They're just no, just like just using it as a platform, which I think is smart. Smart, definitely. That way, everyone's toys all still work. Although mm-hmm. I think they're all backwards compatible generally in Toys to Life yeah. anyway. But well, they, there is a new portal uh, that come. I think comes with the Ghostbusters uh, story pack thing, but it's not needed. Yeah. So. Sonic's 25th anniversary. God bless him. I have a lot of respect for Sonic and for Sega. Obviously, he's been a big part of my entire career, and mm. he's been around for my entire career. But I feel like the sun's setting on this guy. I get. I mean, I don't care anymore. Uh, he was like, you know, it was a very important gauntlet. Uh, it was a very important series uh, to me, like on the gen- early on the Genesis. Sonic Three, I thought was Sonic Three pushed me away from the series for years because yeah. I, it was clearly by different people had a different art style and a different aesthetic and had a different approach to everything and I just hated it I just didn't like and I didn't really come back to Sonic until Adventure in 99 and then uh, the Adventure games were sort of like I liked them but like especially in hindsight it's sort of like oh this is better than no Sonic kind of thing <laughs> and then Shadow kind of overshadowed everything and he got his own game with like Guns. <laughs> and, like, Guns. sports cars. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's where it just started flying off the rails. They're like, yeah. dude, you don't give a hedgehog a gun. Like, <laughs> Everybody knows that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, they just never realize, like, why the are we thing they teach you in home taking act. this blue animal into, like, reality? It just, it never made sense. It still doesn't. I'm hoping that Project Sonic 2017 mm-hmm. takes that to heart and we get these surreal worlds that make a little bit more sense with a hedgehog that can run yeah, really fast. Yeah, just make it crazy. Make it like, you know, like Mario gets that. Like, you know, Mario Sunshine, where it's like, yeah, the whole world is just weird. Like, but see, that's what I would say, too, about Mario Sunshine, is it is the one Mario game that, in my opinion, steps too close to reality. Yeah. 
It has but it, like but it never makes a the mis- town and houses, and he has like this apparatus on him. Like, right, it's but not it like never this- makes the mistake of like putting humans in there besides Mario and Peach. No, you're right. Those, you know, and it never makes the mistake of trying to make you like run around a city and like do fetch quests. Well, well I mean, it kind of does. I don't know. <laughs> I enjoyed Super Mario Sunshine, don't get me wrong. I I didn't like Sunshine all that much. I I really liked it, but it didn't... It felt to me like it should have been a game for another property or new IP. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look back at all the 3D Mario games, it is the outlier. It's the weirdo. It's the kid sitting at the back of the class. It doesn't really match the rest of the Mario games. it, It wasn't... I wasn't doing what I wanted to do in a Mario game in that game. For the most part, except for those levels where you didn't have flood, like those bonus levels, yeah. like those were great. They were, yeah. Um, but for the most part, nah. I mean, it was it was beautiful, and I, you could feel the sunshine, and it made me want to go on vacation, and it was like, but it made just, me want to jump in water. Yeah. In that game. It's yeah. really weird, and it was so funny too how Nintendo. And we're totally went on a tangent. And here. you can't really do that in San Francisco when, no. we, were, when we were there. <laughs> like it was just there were no sprinklers to run through at Tech TV. And it was so funny too, like Nintendo, like the whole time they were developing that game was like, this is a summer game, this is a summer game, and sure enough, like yeah. it scheduled it all out, so it came out like during the summer. I'll never Mario's forget. Got short sleeves on. I mean, it's... I'll never forget. I bought the import. GameCube version. Well, it only came out for the GameCube, but I had like a switch on the side of my GameCube that would switch from mm-hmm. US to Japan. And it came out, I think it was only like a week and a half or two weeks early in Japan. That, yeah. But I went and paid the extra money and got yep. the import. And I remember like driving home with the game. I was so freaking excited for that game. Stopping at stoplights, like reading the instruction manual, because when we had instruction manuals. Yeah. And I remember getting out of my car and I was like, damn, it's so hot out. And I walked in, and our air conditioning in our place was, like, nice and cool and perfect. And I remember just that feeling when I sat down on the couch and get ready to play that game. Like, I don't even know how to explain it, man. Like, it's that feeling you get when you're really hyped for games. And, hmm. like, and the setting was perfect. Like, and you look, I boot the game up, and you have, like, a water gun, and the water looks amazing and, like, refreshing. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, like, I'm <laughs> home again. Like, I really, lo- I really did like Sunshine. I just don't think it fit in with the rest of the Mario games. And I think... Nintendo figured that out, see? And that's the difference. Nintendo saw that and was like, wait, this isn't really fitting in with, like, the other 3D Mario games. And they kind of went back to the series roots. back and sort of said, hey, what if if we made the most awesome thing ever? And Super Mario Galaxy was Was born. Was born, yeah. (laughs) And then Sega, it never clicked. Yes, Sega never gets the, we should make something awesome. Message. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. There. Well, I think in all honesty, the a big problem is Yuji Naka. Like, I just mm. really is he even that particularly involved anymore? Not anymore. But he was the shepherd still when it, 2006. When it, yeah, yeah, when it went down that path, and I, you know, he created Sonic. So if you're mm-hmm. Sega, how do you go to that guy and be like, you don't know what you're doing? And they just let him be the shepherd well, of that I, I think if I long. had to do that, I would simply walk in with a copy of Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg <laughs> and hold it there until he looked away from me. Yeah. And <laughs> since then, he's just made one bad game after another. Yeah. And I, I, mean, think... this is the, I mean, he also created Knights, which is one of my favorite games ever. The first one, yeah. yeah. He written out, not the, not the sequel. The sequel was uh, a bad idea on all conceivable levels. But the original... Which I actually just played through recently again on because it got you know it got the backwards compatibility on Xbox One for the 360 yeah. Xbox Live Arcade. Uh, I played it again and I was like, yeah, that game's still great. It holds up, yeah. 
But then the next one was not no, good at all. No, well, they started having nights nice talk and yeah, I feel like Kijinaka had it's, it's like, like a five-year period where he was a genius, but it's and also then like it just like poof, like Nights disappeared. Two suffers from that same problem you said, where like it's kind of weirdly grounded in reality, whereas the first one was basically yep. a drug trip, and it like, really was, yeah. And I don't know why you walk away from that idea. As I mean, I know it was more abstract because the technology wasn't there, but it's like it's not like we were playing Sonic and Knights in those games back in the day and saying, you know, what would make this better is if there were skyscrapers. You know, I'll tell you why, Matt. Because when all this started happening, the rise of Grand Theft Auto began. Mm. And I can remember reading interviews with people like Miyamoto and Yuji Naka, all the Japanese luminaries, who were looking at the success of Grand Theft Auto and being like, hmm. Like, I remember Miyamoto was like, oh, we'll never do that. You know, we're completely staying away from that. But what we saw is a lot of Japanese developers being influenced by that, thinking that if they mm. changed the tone of their game to be a little more gritty or a little more serious then maybe they might get more traction with their game in the West, which never happened. And mm. all it ended up doing was ruining a ton of franchises. So And Sonic, had, Sonic Adventure 1 was three years before GTA 3, so that doesn't even that's not even an excuse for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Although you can definitely see them doubling down on it in the wake of... Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the only, one of the only explanations of Shadow the Hedgehog. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, there's a yeah. perfect example of it. Like... Let's give Shadow a gun. <laughs> and like, a car. And a car. Like, who's in that meeting? And they're like, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, that's a good idea. Grand Theft Hedgehog, good. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you did, for a period of time, see Japanese developers trying to conform a little bit to what was happening mm-hmm. overseas. I feel like they've kind of gone back now, and they're just like, look, we're going to do what we're we gonna do. We're going to do what we do, and that works out better for everyone, and now we get a Persona 5 game. and all. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's, there was like that five-year window where you could kind of see the West influencing them a little mm-hmm. bit. You still see a little bit of it now, like with... Metal Gear Solid Five. I, I mean, some of that has just been internalized in general, and I think like, you know, there was some rocky stuff, but I think you see, you know, Japanese games incorporating some of the lessons of Western dev over the last ten to fifteen years, and like, yeah. it's no, a lot of them don't. A lot of them don't, but like to. the ones that do, like, I think work better for it. But yeah. it's like you can't go too far outside of what you want to make uh, because of the feeling of what you should make. And I think the best games that incorporate, you know, they've found a balance for the most part at this point. I don't honestly don't even know how some of these Japanese developers are still in business. I don't like, know. I, I don't, I'm shocked that we're on the sixth Yakuza game. I mean, Yakuza I can get, but like talking about some of the smaller guys like Compile Heart and these smaller mm. publishers that really just cater to like JRPGs. And like, you know, every week we curate the weekly media create sales from Japan. And I mean, a lot of those RPGs literally sell like 15,000 copies in their first week. It's like, how do you keep making games when your games are selling so little? Because some of their games will come over to the West and they'll do great. Metal Gear Solid, mm-hmm. you know, Bloodborne, Dark Souls. Some of them will come over and sell millions and, you know, they'll make a profit on those games. But, I mean, a lot of these little minuscule JRPGs, probably 50% of them actually end up ever right. coming out in the West on 3DS or Vita usually. Like that one 3DS one with a dragon in the title. His title I can't remember because it's like a number and, a, and like two Roman numerals or something. It just can't, it was a, Dragon Quest? It's, no, it's like Dragon <laughs> D23 or something. It was like uh, three yeah, dragon. Whatever, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's bad when I can't remember the name of your game. Yeah. Like, at all. Like, I'm just like, I'm, I don't know. Like, yeah. Like, Black Rose Valkyrie like, how many came copies out this of that week. It sold like 10,000. Like, all those little JRPG. I don't know how they're all staying in business, in honesty. I, I mean, they must really know their budget versus their expected income. I mean, dude, 15,000 copies of a game? I don't know how that's possible. I just don't see how it's viable. Maybe maybe it's not viable. I mean, ultimately, maybe we see the shake out of this. Mm -hmm. Or they move into mobile and start putting their stuff out of mobile in Japan. 
That's really where you're gonna make your money. They're just trying to hang out, hang on until the uh, the anime VR porn can get off the ground. That's that's where they're gonna make their money. <laughs> you're probably right. I mean, could fifteen thousand? I mean, working designs games used to sell more than that back in the day. Yeah. I, I mean, if you look at the media create charts, like seventeen games out of the top twenty sell around that or worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the way it is. Like. Yokai Watch 3 is selling really well. It sell, its first week it sold like 260,000 copies, and the second week it sold like 120,000. So you always have like these kind of flashes in the pan that do okay. But even at that, 300,000 copies isn't a lot. So I don't know. Something's going to give eventually in Japan. You can't keep carrying on like this. Something has to change. But, yeah. uh, and something needs to change with Sonic as well. Like, you know, these games are cool. Yeah, well, maybe this is kind nice of like where they're trying to... Maybe, the, you know, these games are almost, you know, they're data. You know, you're like... This is almost a shotgun blast of like, all right, every version is every take on Sonic we've ever done. Here we go. We've got a 2D Genesis throwback. We've got a modern 3D version that has 3D and 2D in it, and we've got this like crazy spinoff with Lego. Like, yeah. let's see which one hits, and from there we'll co- sort of narrow the focus. Sega's probably counting on making the right the money the money rights off of uh, the toy mm-hmm. for Lego Dimensions. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like if it's smart, I'm sure we're done some kind of a deal where it gets half of everyone sold or. Well, that's like the, that. it probably it's probably not that much, but the licensing deal is is pretty good, I'm sure, and the because uh, it's so recognizable, mm-hmm. and and not just recognizable, but like a, the Lego Sonic figure, even though it does look weird, jumps out at you. Like yeah. when you, like, I'm sure when you see that on the shelf with all the other Lego oh, it'll stand out stuff, big it's time. right. It's like oh my god, Sonic Lego. That's I cool. mean, it'll probably be the best selling yeah toy for Lego Dimensions and this. And I can definitely see them going for you know if it's successful in that regard, I can see them going further and making you know a standalone Lego sets because you know the the classic Genesis you know level design and level structure like they're kind of Legos already. Kinda, I mean it's right. I mean you could build that you know that Green Hill Zone loop out of Lego, no problem. You, you know, like, could, I'm yeah. sure that you know like, just like they did with Minecraft and and Ghostbusters, I'm sure like you know they they have that option there if they need to go in that direction. Or they'll just sign it to a live action movie. <laughs> oh boy! I bet you'll see Sonic in uh, the Lego Movie too, though. Probably, you're probably uh, right. Yep, you're absolutely yeah. right. But that's really what a lot of us come down to: is they have these brands that mm-hmm. have kind of failed as video games, but they're still beloved, and they've just have found other yeah. ways to generate revenue from the IP, yes. not not related to video games. Yeah, and you'll see them in uh, um, Wreck'em Ralph too. Yeah, as well. probably right. Yep. I think right, you'll might finally see Mario in that one too. I think maybe Nintendo finally understands. What I that don't was. know about that. Well, it was mainly because well, you can have Bowser, but we don't really understand what you're doing. So yeah, I think I think we'll see more in there. Yep. All right, let's move on. I'm gonna talk about a game. I cannot remember a game in recent memory, or recall a game in recent memory that disappointed me as much as We Happy Few, and part of it. It's my own fault. Mm. It's my own ignorance. I did not do enough research on this game. I had watched a few trailers. I had watched the E3 demo and assumed it was one kind of game. Mm-hmm. And it is not what I thought it was at all. Yeah. Like, I thought it was like Bioshock Lite. Right. And it sure ain't. No. And look, so it's on early access. The game isn't done. The first thing I'm going to say is putting out what they put out on early access was a huge freaking mistake. Like... This game had Ooh, built that's ugly. Oh, the whole game is it's not a pretty game. I mean, it part of it is just the style, oh, the art style. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of people say oh, that's what makes it remind them of BioShock Infinite or whatever. It's a dreary game. It's a lot like Dishonored. It has kind of that dystopian, dilapidated 
future I don't want to be a part of look. <laughs> but the biggest mistake that they made is this early access version of this game does not have like the primary like plot in it. So you start out there, the prologue is actually the E3 demo, which is great. It's shocking. It's that whole thing where they're trying to get you to take drugs and you think you're hitting a pinata. It's really an animal there. You know, that's great. That's shocking. It makes a, a huge impact. But then you actually start playing the game and the game is all crafting and like collecting resources. And it's a survival game is really what it is. And I found myself bored with this game probably within an hour and a half of playing it. Like, I just had no interest in playing it anymore. Like I said, the game is really drab. There's permadeath. You, in this, you can turn it on or off. I don't know if in the final version they're going to have that. But there's, like, a permadeath option. Even if there's no permadeath, it is very easy to die in this game. Like, there are... You can find dead corpses lying around. And if you touch the corpse and it's been there too long, you'll get, like the plague and die <laughs> like man this looks rough oh uh, did you notice how they made the necks on the characters really long so that you can strangle, strangle them? them yeah it's like <laughs> i'm sure they'll say oh that's the art style we went for but if you look at like the strangling animations like it appears that Enhanced like rock. the necks weren't long <laughs> enough oh the amount of junk and crap that you collect in this game is insane and it's like you know when games do crafting and resource gathering really well, there's always mm. a purpose for every little thing. In this game, that is definitely not the case. Like, you there would is never just straight guess up this junk. from the E3 demo. Never. Or, the e or anything that they've shown before that this game was like this. Like, I. Like I said, I'm completely disappointed wow. by this game. And yeah, I, I didn't play this because I saw it was early access, so I decided to wait. And, like, there are quests in the early access build. They're just not, like, primary mm. quests. And the quest structures are just, like, all goofy. It's like, well, first of all, they're never all that exciting. So most of the quests I found, I'm like, when I was going, completed the quest, I'm going to go back to the person to complete it. I'd be like, thank God that's over. But it's one of those games where that person then says, oh, and I have this other thing for you. And it just goes on and on. In fact, hmm. the Technomancer was a little bit like that, too. <laughs> where you go on this crazy long quest, you come back, you're like, give me my stuff. And they're like, oh, no, there's this other thing I want you to do that's even less interesting than the thing that you just did. That's how this, the... And I'm assuming what I'm playing is side quests, because they said that there's no, there's no main quest sort of tree in the, in the early access version. And if that's the case, side quests in this game are really freaking dull. How about that run animation? Yeah, this dude's got some speed on him. <laughs> But that's all, you can see there's a stamina bar there. You can only run for so long, get away for your stamina to build up. I mean, it's it's a survival game. That's mm. really what it is. Um, you know, the whole drug angle, they've really played that up. But in all honesty, like, other than playing the prologue where they're trying to get you to take the pills, like, it's not, like, a huge component of the game, at least from what I've experienced so far. Um, and like I said, it's just really dreary and drab. It's just a world that you just don't want to be a part of, I guess is the best <laughs> way to put it. It's like, get me out of here. I don't want to be in this world. And I, I realize some games can, be, can do a really good job of kind of twisting that around and making it actually something that in the, in the end you are glad to be a part of. Or they're telling you, make it better, improve the world, and you can visi visibly see you making mm -hmm. a difference and improving the world. But this game is just, like, all drear all the time. Like, yeah, like, this world really seems like it could use some Amaterasu. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need a wolf to bring color back to this world. Yeah, exactly. And, but 
you know, from what I've played, and again, but I it's played, not. I, I, if you showed me this footage, I would never guess it was this game that I'd seen at E3. I know. Like I didn't play it at E3. I watched somebody play it for a while, but I well, never. There was a demo got during the Xbox press conference that they yeah. showed, and everybody saw that. And it looked the hype for the game after everyone saw that was like, oh my god, this looks awesome! Like, yeah. Wow. Big time disappointment with this game. Um, look, I'm not passing final judgment or anything. Obviously, there's no primary quest stuff in it. But having ran around the world and interacted with all the people <laughs> in it and everything, like, I just... It just looks so janky. I mean, I know yeah. it's early access, but wow. Like, it, it looks like... It looks like jank on a level that, like, probably can't uh, be fixed in time. I haven't seen jank like this for a while either. I've got to admit, like, I haven't played a game that was like this in, like, a long time. Like, her did her hand just go through her hat? Yeah. Her I mean, clipping and stuff like that, that's the least of this game's problems, in all honesty. I, uh... I'm surprised it was, like, they released it early access like I that. have no idea why they did it, Matt. I don't know if there's some kind of pressure on them from some external source telling them, like, look, you need to get this out there. I have no idea. I mean, idea. maybe they thought, like, because it's, you know, it is pretty dead right now in terms of releases and what's happening. Maybe they, maybe they thought, like, oh, this is a good chance to get some eyes on this thing. Yeah. I don't know if you wanted I that I mean, it, it's yet. nowhere near done. Like, based upon what I've played of it, I would estimate it's probably about halfway done. I, yeah, I don't understand, I don't like the game, I don't like their decision making and putting this broken game out there for people to experience, because look, you can say all you want, like, you can't review this, this isn't a done game. The bottom line is people are going to watch live streams, people are going to watch shows like Game Face, people are going to go on message boards, who play it? People are going to read the Steam reviews on Steam after people get it out of early access, hmm. and it's going to totally turn people off to the game, I just... The logic behind it makes no sense, especially after you had built all this momentum at E3. People were hyped for your game. Like, at that point, like, you got to buckle down and, and finish it as quickly as possible. You don't put some half-baked thing out there for the public to consume. This, in my opinion, is where demos and early access goes wrong. Usually, I feel like it's a good thing. Like, with multiplayer games, it's great to stress test the servers and find glitches and things like that. But with this game, it's just leaving, an, at least for my, in my opinion, leaving an incredibly negative opinion of the game. To the point now, when this game comes out, I will not do the game eval for this game. One, I can't, because I'm already tainted. Like, I am already have a negative opinion of this game. So there's no way I can evaluate this game now. Like, I am already tarnished on it so but even if i had no editorial integrity hmm. just on the fact that i don't want to play it anymore mm. i would pass this game off like i would just give it to somebody else to to do it no matter what even if i you know even if i didn't care about the fact that i probably shouldn't be evaluating it so i don't know I gotta say, you know, over the last like couple years, I've rarely been let down by indie games. Like most of them come out, they're really polished, they're really interesting, they they manage to work their gimmicks or whatever their sort of hook is really well. This is one of the rare exceptions where we have a high profile indie game that's been marketed. What the hell was that? I mean look, micro <laughs> I know I mean Microsoft let this game on its stage at E three. And then this is what they deliver. Huh. I mean, look, there's a certain type of player that will love this, that like just digging into the world and gathering every little knick-knack and piece of crap that they find in a trash can. I'm not that guy. Like, crafting for me in games, like, I don't hate it, but it's never a highlight of the game for me. Like, I'm never like, I can't wait to start crafting in this game. Like, it's just not... It's just never know. been that way. No Man's Sky is coming up. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking think, at, yeah, looking at that be, game. You think you're going to be refining a lot of... 
rocket fuel in that game. If I do, I probably will not like. I probably will not enjoy, end up enjoying that game as much as some people. Now, hopefully, there's going to be like exploration that's worthwhile in that game to keep you, you know, keep you moving forward in terms of what you need to craft and gather. Whereas this, um, this doesn't look as compelling in terms of exploration. Like there doesn't seem to be a lot to to see here. Yeah, I mean, because there's no majest- there's nothing majestic about it. It's just everything is just a big gray cloud hanging over the whole game, and like. It's also like it arguably doesn't seem like bad enough, like in terms of like you know, a horrible dystopian existence or something. Not, it's not well, like, you know, you're not hearing the audio. Like no. a lot of it is about what people are saying on mm. the streets and and things like that, and little like like they show the phone booth there. Like you know, you can pick up the phone and and hear stuff. Like mm. that part of it's pretty good. Like it is really detailed. And there's cool little Easter eggs here and there. And they have really done a good job of fleshing out the world. I just don't like the world. That's the problem. And like I said, there's this whole underlying thing of, like, there's the plague going around. So, like, if you pick up certain things, you can get diseases that will kill you. Like, screw that. Like, I don't want to pick up a shovel and die. Like, that's just (laughs) not my idea of a good time. So, I don't know. I would be surprised if this game comes out this year, though. I would say that much. Mm. And it's way too early for early access. In my opinion, it was a huge mistake. That could, in all honesty, completely doom their game. Um, I don't know how many people that will play this will actually give it another shot when it comes out. I know at the very least they're going to wait for reviews after playing through this. So, (laughs) we happy few. That's a good way to put it. (laughs) Appropriately named, for sure. Damn. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys have played it. And you enjoyed it more than I did. I personally was really, really disappointed in this game, at least based upon what I've played so far. Let's move on to another indie game, one that I like a good bit more mm. than We Happy Few. There's at least There are at least a few happy players of this game, I can guarantee it. Headlander, the new game from Double Fine, but only really kinda. It's really just under like the Double Fine imprint, and mm. they consulted on it, but... I will say that it feels 100% like a Double Fine game. Whatever amount of work they put into the game comes shining through. Because it, it does have like that kind of slapstick humor, that adult innuendo. Uh, I would say it's not as clever as a typical double, double Fine game as far as the writing is concerned. Uh, a lot of the jokes do kind of fall flat for me. But then some of them actually made me laugh out loud. So sometimes you just got to take the good with the bad, I guess. So this game... You know, people probably know already that it's been labeled as a Metroidvania game, which it is. It totally is. And in fact, in this case, with this game, it's even more apt because the name Headlander basically comes from the idea that you can detach your head, fly the head separately from your body, and then reattach it to another body. So basically, you're landing your head on another robotic body. And the puzzles are built all into this game. So you can see that there's like an empty body waiting for a head to be attached to it. So the puzzles are built into this. And the head ultimately becomes like Samus's ball form. Because it can go through small crevices and it can fly through. You can also attack with the head just like you can with Samus's ball. So as far as Metroidvania games go, this is probably one of the more true to that label of all of them. Like Hmm. a lot of times people just say, oh, if it's a game that has doors that you can't open until you find an object later in the game to come back and unlock the door to, that's Metroidvania. And that's part of Metroidvania. But this one really does ape Metroid pretty well. And look, we're at the point with Metroid now that, like, who knows when or if we're ever getting another side-scrolling 2D Metroid. Like, I I have no idea what Nintendo's thinking there. Like, instead, we're getting a game that we're going to talk about 
in two topics. Hmm. Um, but I, I really enjoyed this game. Like, it's only like six hours long. I felt like it was maybe a little bit too short. But at the same time, I also felt like the amount of mechanics that they introduced into the game were, were only enough to buoy like a six mm-hmm. or seven hour game. Um, it has like a few core concepts that it, it works them really, really hard. There are a couple puzzles that I really was completely stumped by. I had no idea what to do. That's one criticism I would kind of give it, is that there's a few puzzles in the game where they don't really give you... So there you can see the head detaching. There are are some puzzles in the game where they really don't give you enough information at all to solve them, which is a little weird for a Double Fine game. Double Fine, obviously, knows all about making puzzles with this kind of point-and-click heritage that it comes from. Um... I like the writing, I like the characters, I like the setting. It's this weird, like, sci-fi future, but still set in the 70s motif. Which, I don't even know how you come up with something like that, but they did. Hmm. Um, and like I said, the writing, probably not as, as strong as a lot of Double Fine stuff. But the game's 20 bucks. Recently, a lot of the indie stuff, for me, at least in my opinion, has been way overpriced. This is one game where I do feel like, you know, after you play it, you're not going to be like, damn, I can't believe I spent $20 on that. There isn't a lot of replay, which is kind mm. of comes part and parcel with the genre. Yeah. Also, I, these kind of games, especially the games that are like entertaining in the way the Double Fine games are, I find that I can go back to them like in two or three years. Yeah. Did you forget some of the jokes yeah. and and look, this game is like that. Like the core gameplay and the level design is strong enough that you could go back and play it like a couple years later and still really enjoy it. Um, who knows if anybody will. But mm-hmm. uh, hmm. I had a lot of fun with this game. Some of the reviews were kind of lukewarm on it. And I didn't disagree with any of the criticisms that a lot of the reviews had of the game. But I felt like maybe they were a little weighted too heavily into the overall experience. Or maybe part of it could just be that you know we're in kind of a drought for games right now. And so you, know, you play something half decent and you're like, man, I'm enjoying myself playing a video <laughs> game. Hot damn. Who like, knew? <laughs> Because right before I played this, I played a game called Beat Cop, which was terrible. That was another game I thought was going to be good and ended up being not good at all. Um, and so maybe this was just like a ray of sunshine mm-hmm. peeking through the clouds. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed Headlander. I recommend it. If you like Double Fine games, buy it. If you like Metroidvania games, buy it. It's probably the best Metroidvania I've played in the last eight months, eight or nine months, I'd say. Because let, let's be honest, like there's at least two of these coming out a month at this point. Yeah, the uh, the marked lack of real Metroid games seems to be uh, the the indie scene is it's like we'll handle that. They're yeah. filling the void, absolutely. And look, the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of game developers have a lot of love for Metroid, mm-hmm. and they're like, I could make that game. I'm going to make that game instead of waiting for Nintendo to make that freaking game. So, yeah, I recommend Headlander. It's twenty bucks on Steam. I'm not sure how much it is on consoles. I'm assuming it's probably it's the same. Probably, um, Although lately we've been getting it's these of, it's games of, where, like, for instance, Technomancer was cheaper on PC than it right. was on consoles. So. But I think um, I think it's twenty bucks. I, it's part of the Play twenty sixteen lineup on on PlayStation, which uh, has some really good stuff. Uh, next week is uh, Abzu. Oh, which, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would I would also highly recommend based on what I've played from that. I'm definitely buying that. I'm afraid. That is, of, I'm, what if Abzu's the same deal as like We Happy Few, where like you see this game and then it ends up being something completely oh, different? Oh, it's not. I've played it. It's it's basically Journey Underwater. Yeah. I mean, that's what people have been saying. People have been saying that We Happy Few was mm. Bioshock Infinite spiritual but, successor. But I think that's because we got that impression from the what we were shown at, at the like, Microsoft press conference and stuff. 
I had my hands on Abzu for like half an hour. Like it's 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 exactly what you think it is. Yeah. Very relaxing. You can't die. Does that come out next week? Next week. I have August, not August got 2nd. review code for that yet. I have to hmm. look, look into that. It is that one. I know is. Five bucks off if you have PlayStation Plus. I don't think Headlander is. I know other people have uh, Abzu because people started putting up gameplay today. Mm. I think we have like a video we curated. It's like the first 15 minutes of Abzu or something like that. So yeah, somebody else, someone has it. I, I, we haven't got it yet. So you know, if you like that kind of journey, flower, sort of relaxing exploration, discovery sort of thing, but like in the context of scuba diving. Yeah, I get Abzu. Game looks crazy awesome. It's fun. I mean, the graphics in that game are sick. Not on a technical level, just artistically. It just it's looks... Gonna, uh, it's gonna Actually, tighten... technically, it's not so too bad either. No, technically, like I said, they, they have that weird thing where they have, all the fish are done as mathematical uh, functions. So yeah. they, uh, they don't really take up a lot of processor space, so they can put like 10,000 or more fish on the screen at one time, and it doesn't knock the frame rate down at all. Yep. Uh, so that's, that's the game that's gonna, I'm going to try to have that carry me through to uh, No Man's Sky. Yeah, I mean, there's only a couple weeks away for No Man's Sky. Less than two weeks. I haven't got a code for that yet either. I need to. I am kind that. of expecting No Man's Sky to be the you get your code the night it comes out when we turn the servers on thing. It could like, be the way at Doom and the Division were. Yeah, it very well could be. Um, but it's you know it's kind of weird. In the last couple of weeks, it's kind of come to light that. You know, you're probably not going to run into too many other players no. like playing online. Which the is copies a are out strange. there too. Uh, I mean, I know there have been photos from like the back rooms of Best Buys where people are like, here they are. Oh, really? Yeah, they're, they're, here they are in the shrink wrap, like sitting right here in the boxes. Like, they're out there. Wow. I'm surprised that, it, like, the whole game has it. Well, I guess if the servers aren't up, what can you do with it? Well, you can play it offline, but you might need to, like, go on, the, on to get the seeds and stuff. I mean, I'm sure you need yeah, it's to like update. Yeah, it, it impedes, like, the resource gathering, right, if you're not online? No, I think the only thing that it that changes is your uh, your data. Like, the stuff you discover and name is not uploaded. So like you, your stuff, you're like your your uh, discoveries and and naming stuff will not um, be reflected in the the online universe as a whole until you go online and upload it through one of their atlases. Um, otherwise, I think otherwise I think it's totally playable offline. And judging by how large it is and how rare you're going to ever see a human being, like I would I doubt it's all that different. Yeah. Um, I would I would start now if, yeah. if given the option. <laughs> I know you much. would. Um, yeah, it's a yeah. The indie games are saving the summer. They right really now, are. Frankly. They absolutely are. And one last thing I would say about Headlander uh, before we move on is that probably what impressed me the most about it is how it feels like a double fine game mm -hmm. without them really developing it. And so that is you one, can kind of see it just watching that footage. That is one studio that can just consult on something mm -hmm. and still get like its tone and its flavor into a game. And I think a lot of that probably has to do with Tim Schafer. You yeah. know. Well, I think they if he tells you something, I have a feeling that you know if he's working with other developers right. and he suggests something, people are going to listen to it very closely. Right. Well, I also think that, like he and and the rest of the Double Fine guys, they really know who they are, what their company does, how their DNA functions in terms of game. Like they can a lot of game companies, I think, can't necessarily like just straight up tell you this is how we do what we do. Yeah, you know, in very plain. It's terms. a secret sauce. Yeah, and uh, and I think Tim Schafer and those guys know exactly. How they do what they do. Yep. So uh, it's not doesn't surprise me that like a little bit of consulting with them can go a long way. Yep. All right, let's move on. This is a really indie themed episode yeah. so far of uh, Game Face. Comic Con. Matt, did you go? No. I never even thought to ask you. No. no you, you you act like you're like, no. a crazy question, but I, I'm I don't shocked. go to I don't go to Comic Con unless I have to. Really? I don't like 
San Diego Comic Con all that much. It's too, wow, I'm surprised to hear that. Well, you're huge into comics and movies, and yeah, I'm also huge into being able being able to move, yeah. and getting to see the things that are interesting. And, and you breathe. Don't get, you don't get to do that at San Diego Comic Con because it's way overbooked, and the venue's too tiny, and it's super hot and humid, and uh, you don't get to see anything. And it's it's the worst of what Comic Con a Comic Con can be because it's just too many people. Yeah, and like you know, I mean, the panels and all that stuff are great, but like you can see a lot of that live stream starting this year. Like Comic Con HQ did some of that stuff. You can watch it later. Um, a lot of a lot of the panels release their stuff anyway. You know, it's like really, it's like so. I watched a live blog of the Marvel Cinematic Universe panel instead of being there, but you know that meant I didn't wait in line for nine hours. Yeah, so. I, it's just not interesting. We talked about this before, but it's just that it doesn't interest me. And uh, you know, sometimes I'll go if the uh, Transformers exclusives are something I want. But uh, in recent years, Hasbro has put those up on their website afterward. Oh, really? Uh, and so there's almost literally no. That's kind of dirty, isn't it? Well, you, it's it's a limited number, and you really got to get in there like right, right away, away and kind of be lucky to hope their site doesn't collapse under it. Um, but yeah, you don't really have to. You have to pay shipping, but you know, you know, you don't really have to go. I'll, I'll pay shi- I'll pay fifteen bucks shipping to, to not, not wait in line for con. four hours <laughs> um, and carry around Fortress Maximus all day. I mean, right. it's like it's um, and the other things like there's stuff like WonderCon and and stuff like that where it's like all the same merchandise for the most part, all the same, a lot of the people. same guests, all the same people, all the same same cosplay, same friends. You know, it and it just doesn't you know. Not worth it to me, and it's, and again, it's like I only get in if it's part of like you know if I get in this media or get in like you know if you want to legitimately buy a ticket to this thing, you have to basically win the lottery yeah. at this point. So it's it's just, it's just no, it's not interest, not of interest. I stayed home and I watched all the news roll in as it was announced, and that was good enough for me. Which is what we want to talk about, and I would say that. On the game front, this had to be the quietest Comic Con. Oh, there was nothing ever, almost nothing ever. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I know IGN went down there and did, like, a live broadcast, like, throughout the whole show. I can't imagine what the percentage of movies and TV and comics versus game content was on their stage. Because there was just nothing there. Like, there was uh, one YouTube channel, a very industrious YouTube channel, who went there and shot... There was actually some games there. Like, Dead Rising 4 was there. Final Fantasy 15 was there. It had, like, the E3 demo playable. Hmm. But there was, like, 10 minutes that led up to, like, that big boss fight that they showed, like, over and over at E3. And he, like, shot all that with his little, like, cell phone camera or whatever. And he, like, broke everything from Comic-Con, game-wise. Like, I don't know why... All the other big outlets, like, didn't go and cover this stuff. Like, you know, back when I worked at GT, we shot stuff off screen. All We were probably mm. actually the originators. Were they there? Like that, yeah, yeah. Like my I mean, first... like I said, IGM was there. Because mm. uh, my first question there is, like, could they get in? No. I mean, the press is always going to get in, for sure. At least Sometimes. the big outlets are going to get in. Um, IGM was doing live broadcasts there all day. But they had, like, no game coverage whatsoever. Like, this one dude... On YouTube, just went and shot everything with his cell phone, and he ended up having, like, all the gameplay footage from Comic-Con. And his channel wasn't even that big, but I bet you he added a ton of subscribers in the last week. But otherwise, like, it was all all E3 hangovers, which is to be expected, but usually what happens at Comic-Con is the publishers who are publishing games that are based around comics or TV shows or movies or vice versa, if there's a movie being made about a video game... That's where you get, like, all that information. And we really saw, like, nothing. 
No, Nothing. It was like the Telltale Batman game I think they talked about and the surprise Marvel Ultimate Alliance screw job and uh, that's there the were panels for games. Yeah. At Comic Con, a couple. Some Final Fantasy stuff. There was a Call of Duty panel there, um, but you know they I think they put out a couple new trailers from that. But otherwise, like you know, thinking back to when I worked at GT and G4. And all the money and resources that we would put into going to Comic-Con, and it was a lot. Like, you know, we mm. had what we would call our temple events, and Comic-Con was always one of them. And we would spend, you know, just on the GT side, we'd spend fifty dollars to $100,000 just going to Comic-Con and covering Comic-Con. And eventually, you know, we started doing stuff with Spike TV, where we did, like, Comic-Con Live, and we'd have, like, one day of Comic-Con Live coverage on Spike's air and, and stuff like that. But... Yeah, I mean, if we had spent that kind of money to go to this year's Comic-Con, I probably would have been fired. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's just the bottom line. There just is not enough games content. But I honestly think it's for the better for Comic-Con. Like, I feel like, and the graphic says it, it I feel like it's starting to slowly head back to what it was mm-hmm. in the beginning, which is television, movies, comics, and not so much with, like, interactive entertainment. At least that's the gist that I'm getting from not, again, not being there. I was not there in person. But just reading all the reports about it, watching tons of B-roll of the show floor, looking for any video game-related content coming out of it, like, it just... Yeah, I mean, it was never tremendously video game-oriented. I mean, I was always... I remember the the first time I went back... I went in 1996, and the next time I went was 2006 which was like a different world because I walked in and like Nintendo had a giant booth with a Pikachu the size of a car hanging over it. Yeah. So I was just like, what? It was E3. It was basically E3 again. And um, it wasn't really like any new content necessarily, but it was like the video games had a major presence and that seems to be winding down a little bit. Um, probably because it just gets drowned out in the, in, the, in the noise. I mean, superhero movies and television are like the hotness and they dominate this convention more than anything else. Uh, it's also why it's so crowded because it's yeah. the, the place to be for all that stuff. Now, if you want to see your favorite actors and whatever to be all together and talking about this, these particular franchises, this is where you need to go. Well, you got to think about it too. If you live in Indiana or wherever in America, what chance do you ever have to one hundred percent certain see a celebrity? Mm-hmm. Look, you can come to Los Angeles, but you're rolling the dice. I mean, one thing I would say is most people who come to visit me in L.A., whether it's friends or family or whatever, by the time they leave, we generally have seen at least one celebrity. It may be like a C or D-level celebrity, but before they leave, by the time we've gone to all the restaurants and bars and gone to the beaches and everything, like you'll run into at least one person who has starred in a TV show or a movie that they recognize. But that's driving all around L.A. for four or five days and going to nice restaurants and doing the stuff that people do on vacation. Comic-Con is the one place where people know they can go if they invest the money. They're going to see, with their own eyes, not through a camera, several real celebrities. Well, and I, there's a draw for some people. Somewhat, but you're going to see a lot of those same people at any comic convention around the country. The, the draw of San Diego is that it's the, it's the big one where... But you're Were not going to see, like, the whole cast of The Walking Dead or Game of Thrones. You see a lot Thrones. of them. Really? But, at those little oh, smaller cons? It, it, I mean, any com- like, New York Comic Con, sure, well, yeah, New stuff York's like big, that. Though. Chicago, like that. I mean, in, in any major city that holds a big comic, you know, WonderCon has a, you know, has a complete Walking Dead cast one year, I think. Um, 
I mean, the, 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 the draw of San Diego is not only is that do you get the whole cast together the way they do at a lot of those panels, but San Diego is where they announce the big stuff. Right. San Diego is also positioned in the middle of July, which is when they're right ready to talk about the next season of the yeah. TV show. It's well, also yeah, when everyone's on vacation. Comes out, yeah, news comes out of San Diego. San Diego was always going to be where they were. Marvel announced it. You know, they showed new logos for everything. They showed the first footage of uh, Guardians 2. They showed the first footage of Spider-Man Homecoming. They showed, I mean, it, you know, we saw the, the new Justice League trailer. Uh, we saw the new Wonder Woman trailer. We saw... Uh, I haven't know, watched any of those, by the way. The, new, <laughs> the, the final Suicide Squad trailer. I mean, it was... You know, media comes out. I mean, they just they blitz you with new yeah. information, new imagery, new footage. Like, that's the thing I think that is the draw of, of San Diego over seeing everyone on the panel is you get to see everyone on the panel, and they're going to show you stuff you've never ever seen before that is real. It's not going to be like, oh, here's the logo for right. you know this movie. It's going to be like, here's the first footage of Justice League that's ever been seen by the public right, right in front of you before anyone else gets to see it, and you get to watch it with the cast up yeah. in front of you, and then they're going to talk about it. Yeah. And that's exciting. It's not nine hours in line exciting to me, yeah, but me for other people it is. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, so I get it in that regard, but I will never, I don't, I don't care. That shot right there, just, if that, if you want to go to Comic-Con after watching this shot, God bless you. Yeah, imagine the shot 4,000 <laughs> times slower and with some guy stopping in front of you every five feet to look at something without getting out of your way. Who smells really bad. Also, I don't really understand why everyone and their brother has a backpack at this yeah. thing, at these things. Like, I'm constantly getting hit. Because they're collecting swag. They want, like, the There's free no t-shirts. swag at this There really shit. isn't. There's nothing right. like that. I'm just like, look, I, I They give out posters and people go bonkers. I buy... Oh, it's like... They'll try to kill each other over a poster. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like the Hunger Games or something. <laughs> I mean, I buy a lot of stuff at these things, but I have never brought a backpack. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what that is. Like, I'm constantly getting hit in the, hit in the face or hit in the, in the chest by people turning with these giant hiking packs. Like, they're crossing the fucking Mojave. And I'm like... Yeah. I'm like... What? I mean, you know there's like... Well, they probably there's, have like... supplies right outside. There's, there's, well, they there's, probably have like their, their cos- cosplay shield and their daggers in their bag. Oh, or there's tons of people that are not cosplayers that have these giant backpacks on, yeah. and I don't know what they're for. I saw somebody in the chat expressing shock and, and dismay at spending 100k on Comic-Con alone. That is honestly nothing. Like, oh, that no. doesn't even count, like... What we spent on sending like the satellite trucks down there. Oh yeah, the freelance people. Like that... the live broadcast stuff is like you're spending, you're in the the millions. Yep, the camera the camera crews that we would hire from San Diego because we didn't want to hire people from LA and then pay for them to travel mm-hmm. all the way down there and then pay for their hotels. Like that hundred k is just to get everyone from GT, everyone from Spike, and everyone from Comedy Central mm-hmm. down there, fed for the whole week, hotels. All that stuff. I mean, it is expensive. It is crazy expensive to run a website like that. Yeah, the actual production. Like, I mean, it was. You know, oh, then you start talking least, about like at least three, four, five million. I mean, on oh, how, I mean, how many days? How long? How many trucks you need? The stage that we would build on the show floor. Yeah. That was paying like a, for the show. That floor. was like a hundred grand all on its own. Like, yeah, it's. TV production, production is, is crazy expensive. expensive. Not even just TV production, like web production, like creating this show. It isn't cheap. Like it costs a lot of money, and people don't get it because. I mean, if you want to look like more than a you know a, a, a GoPro on a right. stand, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to have decent production values, you got to shell out money. I mean, that's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, hundred. We would spend fifty k just to send four or five of us to Tokyo Game Show. 
And that mm-hmm. was the four or five of us flying from L.A. over to Japan, staying. And look, we did stay in a nice hotel usually. We, would, we stayed in the hotel where they filmed Lost in Translation, mm-hmm. the Park Hyatt, which is honestly probably the nicest hotel in Tokyo. But even, but even that was only like 300 bucks a night or something like that. But you figure you're there for seven days. You have it's five people. Crew, yeah. Every time you eat, you pay to eat because you don't have a refrigerator to get your food out of. Like, so all three meals, every day you're there, you're paying for that. And then the flight back, the flight there is like, you know, 1500 bucks per person. You're paying for travel from your hotel to Tokyo Game Show every day. You're paying for two translators to work with you every day to translate your interviews for you so that you actually can get some content out of the show. You're paying for your cameramen, which we honestly did hire in Japan the last like four yeah. years because we got tired of paying. Because when you hire people in America to work freelance for you, you pay what's called door to door. So you start paying that camera guy the minute he walks out of his front door of his house. As soon as he starts traveling for you, you pay him. So that whole time, until he walks back in his front door and he's done with the job, you're paying him the whole time. So after a while, we stopped doing that. And we started. And off- even if they're staff camera people, which we used to have at times, the cost of flying them there and lodging them there and feeding them is always going to be more than hiring local crews. Oh, yeah. Way more. The advantage of it is that you have people that know what your show is supposed to look like and you, don't have, you already have a working rapport with them and it makes things a lot easier. But eventually, cost tends to overtake the, you know, the, the comfortableness, yeah. and you just sort of deal with it. Yeah, but this explains to you why, after a while, GT stopped going to Tokyo Game Show. I think 2012 was the last year that it went, uh, the last year that I was at GT. Um, and we came back from there, and I was like, I can't believe we just spent all that money, mm-hmm. and this is all we had to show for it. Well, I mean, we used to send like a whole, like a small army to Tokyo Game Show at G4, and by the end of it, I think, I think it was just one field producer and Morgan. No, we went to Tokyo Game it. Show one year. It was all of X-Play, all yeah. of Attack of the Show. There was literally like 30 people yeah. there. And some of the people on Attack of the Show stayed there for two weeks. Yep. We were there for a long time. And that we did like the hour-long special. And we did, I think we did three episodes of each show yeah. Yeah. But see, in the that's streets and all that. Because like, we did like full episodes. Like we did, yeah. like I remember I did a full episode of X-Play with Shag Grim Gravy. Like yep. the whole show was just us shooting with him. Illegally Adam. on the street in Tokyo, <laughs> chased by cops. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> So, you know, you came back with full episodes of shows, or we came back with full episodes of shows. When you're GT, you go there, and you're just trying to get, like, trailers and Mm. interviews and stuff like that. And, like, it just didn't work out after a while. And it still won't really work out. Well, eventually, we're like, what would we even cover? Like, that show changed. Oh, yeah. It's all mobile games, and, Mm. yeah. So, and, you know, Microsoft doesn't even go there anymore. Mm. At least you kind of had Xbox there. And some people to speak English with at the Xbox booth. (laughs) Because that's why you had to hire translators, because right. most of the USPR people would not go over for Tokyo Game Show. So you'd be dealing and get passed off to the Japanese PR people who do not give a crap about you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a translator, you're totally screwed. If you do have a translator, they stand there for 30 minutes trying to explain, this is their contact back in the U.S. They were supposed to have told you that they had an appointment for today at blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, we don't have that appointment. It just, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it just wasn't worth the effort. So, But I wouldn't trade those trips for anything. Oh, no. That's one of the best. Well, yeah. the first, like, six times I went to Japan were some of the best times I ever had in my life. And then after that... It got old after a while. It true. did, yeah. Because 13 hours on a plane for anything yeah. is, is a tall order. Like, the first time I went, I didn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. Like, I was there for, I think, nine days. I went there with GameSpot in 2001 for Space World 2001. That was my first trip to wow. Japan. 
And it was incredible. I mean, it's my first time in Tokyo. Speaking of seeing history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the last Space World ever. Mm-hmm. That was the last Space World. And uh, I didn't want to leave. Then the second time I went, I was good for like seven days. And by day eight, I was like, I'm really tired of trying to find something I like to eat. Because, yeah. you know, you go to McDonald's there, and it tastes, it doesn't taste like McDonald's. Like, mm-hmm. everything tastes different. Because well, the burgers, I think, are pork. Maybe... Whatever, for whatever reason, all the food there, even if you try to eat American food... I love the food the over there, but after about nine to ten days, I'm just like, I need, I need two things. I need a normal cheeseburger, and I need someone to be rude to me. Yeah, <laughs> I can't eat ramen anymore. <laughs> like, I've had ramen every day for, like... And the ramen there is amazing. Oh, yeah. One year, but, I remember we, we had so many people coming. It was the year we had the whole army come in. Yeah. And, like... We were introduced, as people would arrive, we'd go, oh, we got to go to this, we have this one ramen place that Sessler loved, and we would always go to that one place, and I think we ate, we ended up eating it like four days in a row, and we're just like, no more ramen, this tri- like, that's the end of the ramen, we can't do this anymore. I never got sick of that ramen place, it's out of business now, by the way. Yeah, I heard about it's that. It's gone. You yeah, can find I went there in 2012 to try and find it, and I walked around for two hours, I was like, I know it's right here, and it's like, not here. It's right, it's right before you get to the Outback Steakhouse, yeah. you know this. <laughs> um, no, but there are like, you know, it's Chashu Ramen, there, there is... An equivalent. You can find some pretty close equivalents in LA now. Uh, I don't know. I've, never, I've tried a lot of ramen here. I've never found anything quite exactly that, broth, that good. That broth no, was no. crack. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. once again, we're going off as, on a tangent. As, on a Ad, as Adam would say, uh, it's like a pig crawled into your mouth and hugged your tongue. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. So. <laughs> I don't know. It seems to be like Comic-Con at this point. It, it, the games, it, it had like a big resurgence with games for a while. And I feel like it's just kind of, mm. it's like a wave. Well, it used to be like the, the shore, now it's like pull back. It was back. like the mecca of everything nerd-related, and games were part of that. And I think slowly people are, have started to learn that, like, just because you make waves at Comic-Con doesn't mean translate into monetary success when A lot of the out. movie publishers are pulling oh, back, yeah. too. Like, well, the, the big wake-up, everyone, like, the big uh, wake-up call, like, hey, Comic-Con is something we should exploit and, and promote at was Spider-Man, the original yeah, Spider-Man, which was, right. which was, you know, Sony gave a lot of credit to that movie's momentum from its showing and the buzz that came out of Comic-Con. But then I think the time, the, the movie that taught Hollywood that, like, it's not always a guarantee was uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. Yep, the World. I was about to say that. Yeah. Uh, which had huge buzz at Comic-Con. Oh, at Comic-Con it was and huge. And nothing, nothing at the box office. Nothing yeah. to speak of. And I liked that movie. Yeah, um, I thought it was pretty good. But, uh, yeah, no one cared. Yeah. That was, the, you know... You can get buzz, but if it's not, if you know, it's either going to expand beyond the niche audience or it's not. And uh, so I don't think I don't think Comic Con is seen quite as like diehard essential anymore. But clearly, uh, the companies find it worthwhile to interact with the fans on that level. I think for the people who really love Comic Con, it would do them well if the thing was kind of pulled back a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's just it's become. Unfunctional. Well, I don't I know if that's a real word. I think it needs it needs to move to a larger venue. Like it needs to. And I'm not saying they need to let more people in. I yeah. mean, they need to move to a venue that can accommodate the number of people that go already. But it's funny, like watching. They need to build another convention center in the in the in the water. Yeah. Like yeah. pass like just <laughs> just landfill it, and I don't know. Just start holding, start putting booths on boats. I don't know. Like it needs to. They need you need more room over there. It's funny that watching this footage, I will say that. 
I haven't been there for a couple years, and it looks exactly the same still. Oh, yeah. I know exactly same, where this is exactly on the floor. I know exactly where it is. Yeah. Yep. Same booth, same stand, same everything. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've missed nothing. Like every, I mean, if I was going to go, I would, I, I would go look at the Hasbro booth. I'd go look at the Star Wars stuff and the Transformers stuff. And then I would go look at the Sideshow booth and look at all the, the awesome six-scale figures I can't afford. And then I would go maybe make a pass by the, the video game booths and see if anybody I knew was there. And then I'd go browse like all the comic stuff in the artist alley, and then I'd go. That'd yep. be it. I, I'd be there for like three hours because yep. everything else, it's all it's a all the same you know retail booths you've always all, already seen before. Um, and it's not like the old days. Like I, when in '96 I went, I was like looking for like you know rare Star Wars stuff and like Transformers stuff, and I found it. You know, I, it was it was like one of the only places you could go, and this was before eBay was even a big deal. You could, it's the only places you could go where, where you could find these things. There's, there's like flea markets and stuff. But you went to San Diego Comic Con and like you were guaranteed to find them in good condition. You're, you know, they're gonna, you're gonna be sold by someone who like has been holding on to this Imperial shuttle from 1983 and it's boxed. Yeah. You know, and it's just like you know, that was the only game in town for that. But now you can buy that stuff online oh, anywhere yeah. for, a, for a lower price. Yeah, nobody's waiting part. for Comic-Con to sell that stuff anymore. No. It just doesn't work that way. And they so. don't even bring it a lot of the time because they don't want to travel with it. Yep. It's too big and bulky. I honestly don't know if I'll ever go to Comic-Con again. I, I mean, it may, maybe somewhere on down the road I have to go there for a job or something like that. But That's the only reason I think I'd go. If, if, I was, if, I it, would was my, never if it was my job my own, to go, I would go. I would never go on my own volition. I went to WonderCon on my own volition. I, I would go to PAX on my own volition. I really enjoy the PAXs I've been to. Yeah. Oh, PAX um, is amazing. Yeah. PAX is the real deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just us, our community, together playing games. Like, yeah. they set up areas to play video games. And there's, you know, up on the top floor. On yeah. into the night. And yeah, like, you know, one, I remember one night at one of the packs. But it's also too crowded now. It is PAX. too crowded. But I remember one time, the packs, packs was always crowded, but like, remember one night, I was, it was like three in the morning, I couldn't sleep, so I just went down and played like fighting games in the console play thing with a bunch of people I'd never met, but it was, it was great. Yeah. Like, I really had a good time, you know, it was... It felt very low pressure. It felt very yeah. much like hey, we're all just here to, to play stuff and yeah, hang out, and do, out and do what we do with like-minded people. Yeah, yeah. It, it it was Pax has a great vibe. I guess it I really say. does. That's the best way to put it. And I feel like Comic Con does not have a great vibe. I think Comic Con has a great vibe if you're one of the people that's part of that world more than we are. Yeah, I was maybe. never really part, you know, because that's what Pax Pax feels like. You're surrounded by gamers, whereas like. There are gamers at Comic-Con, but it's not the focus. And so, you know, every once in a while, you're like, oh, this is more of a comic thing. And I am a comic nerd. I mean, it's not, yeah. like, I, it's not like I can't walk the comic walk. Yeah. But, like, I don't, I, I don't, like, unwind with it the way I do with games. And I don't bond yeah. with people over it the way I bond with them over games. Yeah. It's just a different thing. Movies are bigger. Yeah. They I mean, you've got a wider net. Everybody so. watching knows I love movies like, yeah. to death. But, like, at the same time... You know, you never. Yeah, you know, it's it, movies are a little more divisive at this point, and uh, you know, I'll see them when I see them. You know, I'm more interested in being able to talk about the movies I've already seen than the movies that aren't out yet. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. All right, let's move on. I think we talked about Comic Con long enough for something that neither one of us really care about. Yeah. <laughs> Funny, we could talk for 20 minutes about something we don't give a crap about. All right, that's going to talk about, like I mentioned earlier, we were going to talk about Metroid. So Metroid Prime Federation Force, there's a free demo right now available for the 3DS on the eShop. I have been playing this demo, and I almost feel like I'm being defiant by seeking out and playing this game because people have just 
shat all over this game. I mean, purely because it it carries the Metroid Prime name and it mm. doesn't have Samus for the most part. That's really also, what people are so up in arms about. Also, I, I I think Metroid Prime Hunters on the DS looked better than this yeah. game. Like I don't know what like they did this whole thing where they talked about how like the art style is because to make it like easier to play or fun. I'm like Hunters looked fine and played fine. I, I don't get why it looks like it does. Well, like, I would never guess this. If I didn't know what this game was, I would never guess that this is a Nintendo game. I or expe- a Metroid I, game. Well, not Metroid, yeah, but, like, I, I mean, I accept that they slapped the Metroid name on it to, like, give, you know, give it some brand recognition. But, like, this, to me, does not look like, does not look on par with Nintendo's, like, what I expect of Nintendo's output. Like, it's yeah. just, it just doesn't look like a Nintendo, like, it doesn't look like a game made by the people who made the hardware. I guess well, I, I will say this. So, I defended this game. I've tried to defend it over the last year plus, purely because I just really thought it was lame how people were kind of piling on it, mm. simply because of the name of the game. Well, it's also it's the name, of, it's, it's it the name of the game, bit. and it's also the fact that, like, you know, it's been how many years since we got an actual Metroid game, and this is what they give. I don't think there would have been as much outcry if they were regularly putting out Metroid stuff. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you get that panic that the fans of things have, where it's like, oh, well, we think this property's gone forever, and then like six years later we get this other thing, but it's not the thing we wanted, but it has the name on it, and everybody loses their mind. You know, it's 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 not rational, and it's not helpful, and it's kind of dumb, but like, I don't like, I don't I didn't react violently to this game, but I I, I saw it, and I'm like, oh, this is not gonna be good. You know, I, I, I get where they're coming from, right? I, I can see what their what their concern is. So, but they haven't played it, so what do they know? You have played it. I have. Well, they probably have played it now because it's definitely it's, yeah, free for everybody. Everyone I have not it. been... I didn't read any like impression threads of this yet or anything. Well, the first thing I would say is that I literally dusted off my 3DS. <laughs> <laughs> there was about a centimeter of dust on top of my 3DS, and I still have the original launch 3DS. I don't have like mm-hmm. the XL or any of the other iterations. How many are there now at this point? I still have the base model, so... Keep that in mind when I talk about my impressions. You know that I have the the mm. the cheap the cheapest. I dusted my 3ds. Least off capable too, it was, 3ds. It was to play Pokemon X. Yeah, yeah. Pokemon Go has its hooks in me. Yep. So I turn it on. Obviously, the sift the system needs updated. Right. For like the last six months or whatever since the last time I played a, a game on it, um, and I went and downloaded the demo, fired it up. There's a good little training mode. It kind of teaches you the ins and outs of the controls. The first thing I would say is that they've done a pretty good job with the controls on this. I was afraid, and I played this once before, but it was in like a convention setting, and I think I played it for like two, th- two or three minutes or whatever. Like I literally like hardly played it. You know, I was afraid they're going to make me use a stylus for this game mm. because a lot of the shooters on the 3DS or the DS, like yeah. you would have to use a stylus to like look or whatever. Metroid Prime. Yeah. But in this one, it's not. Like, you just use, like, the stick and the buttons and the shoulder buttons, and that's how the controls work. There's, like, a lock-on. So the other thing I should mention is that there's just one mode that you can play, and it's Blast Ball. Blast Ball is Rocket League with mechs. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. You can see it right here. It. I don't know if they were designing this mode before Rocket League came out, but then Rocket League was around for... Yeah, Rocket League's pretty old. Yeah, it's been around for like three or four years already. Like, I'm like looking at this, I'm just like, why would I play this instead of Rocket League? Well, it's on a handheld, for one. I mean, you can't play Rocket League that's on a handheld not, yet. It's not, Although, it's I wouldn't... Not a huge plus you probably wait another six months, you'll probably play Rocket League on Vita or whatever as well. Uh, 
So it is. It basically is is like Rocket League. You have like three guys on each side. Uh, the object is to get the ball into the other team's goal. It's totally like soccer or hockey, whatever you want to you want to describe it as. And you use your gun to move the ball. So you have to shoot the ball to move the ball. If the ball hits you, you actually take damage, which I found to be incredibly annoying and frustrating because the ball goes everywhere. You have no control over where the ball's going, like once someone else shoots it. So somebody can just shoot the ball and it just smacks you and like takes half your health. And like Rocket League, once your health meter goes all the way down, you explode. You get, in some cases, you eject out of the mech even. You can see there, like, they're starting outside the mech and you have to climb in it. And that hard style is such an odd choice for a Metro game. It really is. But one thing I would say, Matt, you were saying earlier about how you didn't think it looked like it was made by, like, the hard... I, I disagree with that. I think this game actually looks really good, like, for a 3DS game. In fact, I was pretty shocked when I was playing this at how good it looked and how good the animation was for, like, when the guys climb up into the mechs, like... You can tell that this game was not made in a year. They've been working on this game for a long time. There's lots of little details to it. Like, the controls work really well, or about as well as you could for a shooter that doesn't... for a system that doesn't have a second analog stick, because that is a huge problem for a shooter, it not having have, I mean, a second stick. It does stick. have a little, little nubbin, but it's not functional. Not on mine, it doesn't. Oh, no, you, that's the XL, okay. Yeah, I have the base model of the 3DS. And so... It, I think it looks great, in honesty. It looks, look, right now we're looking at it blown up on a big screen. But you look at it on your 3DS on that little screen, and look, the base 3DS, that screen is freaking little. It looks pretty freaking awesome. Like it's, to me, it's one of the better-looking polygonal 3DS games. And it, here's the other thing, too. Like Recently, there's been a lot of problems with 3DS games that run at a really low frame rate because mm-hmm. they're trying... In some cases, you know, in a couple rare cases, there are some games that are exclusive to the new 3DS XL. This one runs on my base 3DS like Grease Lightning. Literally pegged at least at 30 frames a second at all times. It never slows down. The problem is, at least with this particular mode, is that it just sucks. (laughs) Like, it is the most awkward... You feel like you're running a three-legged race, basically. Because the controls, like... There's no way to turn and run. Like, there's a... You can hold the left shoulder button, and it will keep your attention focused on the ball at all times, but you have to hold the button. It's like with Rocket League, you turn the option on or off in the menu, and then it just always looks at the ball, if, you, if that's what you want. Or you can just turn it off all the time, mm-hmm. and you never look at the ball. In this, to always have a view of the ball, you have to hold the left shoulder button. And so you're holding that... It's like gymnastics with your fingers like digital gymnastics i guess is the best way to put it it just never feels right and if the ball goes rushing past you you can't just turn and sprint like it's this slow like turn to the left because the left analog stick handles like so much it handles movement and where you look at the same time Hmm. so there's no like quick turn button where you can just tap a button and you're spun around like in resident evil or whatever it's like this slow turning process and the ball it sometimes can get moving really quickly and it just it just turns into a big mess. Like, I never felt like the best team won. Like, we were playing against, like, these teams from Japan who literally finished, every, and it's like a best of three. They finished every round in, other, in under 15 seconds. Jeez. Like, literally. Like, when that ball drops down, like, I don't know if they have, like, leveled up their guns or whatever, but you both shoot the ball, and the ball would just go careening over your head towards your goal. And you turn around slowly to run, and by that time they've already went past you, and they're like running after the ball and like knocking it into the goal. 
Sometimes you try to play goalie, you get in between the ball and the goal, and you die because you can't. The ball hits you, you take damage. Robots can also attack you. Like the other team can like attack your mech and destroy your mech that way. Like it just it just became to me just a total total mess. Like again, this is just one mode in the game, but obviously they think this is one of the better modes, or they wouldn't have made the demo based around it. So. I don't know what the other modes are like, but I will say that this one I did not have that much of a good time with. On a technical level, I thought the game was good. I think it runs great. I really don't have a problem that Metroid is, is you know, the name of the game, even though it really has nothing to do with Metroid. And I can see where fans might be like, what the hell? This makes no sense. That doesn't really bother me. It was just the actual playing of the game that I just could never really get my head around. There's also gyro aiming. You can hold the R shoulder and you can adjust your aim with the gyro, but it's like, you can't do that when you're playing a sports game. Like, who has the time to stop and, like, use the gyro to aim at a ball that's moving, like, 100 miles an hour? So, I don't know. Like I said, I used to be a defender of this game, but now that I've actually spent some serious time with it, I think I may be joining the other side. I think I may be doing a flip-flop, Kyle. Hmm. I try to never do that, but this may have been one of those cases where I was kind of a zealot for the game, and it was misguided. I just don't, and I made a mistake. I look. I don't. I mean, I don't. See, it doesn't look like it has anything to do with Metroid either. But like, if this game didn't have the Metroid label on it, like, I would never look at it twice. I don't care about anything it's doing. Uh, and if, with the Metroid label, I still don't care yeah. about anything it's doing. Like, it doesn't do anything to make me hate it more. It doesn't do anything to make me like it more. It's just like, all right, that's what you want to call it, sure, but I'm still not playing it. I don't care. I don't care about a multiplayer game on a handheld, for God's sake. Yeah. I've got other things to do. Especially when, like, that, right, what you're showing me right now just looks like poor man's Rocket League. Yeah, the net, I will say one thing. The net code in this game is great. I had a couple... Except I got Rocket League for free right. on PlayStation Plus, and I, they want 40 bucks for this. So. Yeah. I will say one thing. Like, I had some connection issues actually connecting two games, but once I did connect to the game, it, there was no lag... I had no problems, like, as far as, like, things slowing down or getting dropped out of games once the game starts. One thing I will say is, like, I booted up, like, the first game and finally got into my first online game. And I sat there thinking to myself, who's going to play this? And the first thing that came to my mind was, only people who only have a 3DS. <laughs> Which basically is, like, kids. Whose or parents have only bought them just that one system. Or parents who have young kids and can't play anything else because there's no time. Maybe. There's so many better options than this. I mean, one Rocket League, which a lot of people got for free, but if you want to play like a shooter, like, there's so many better ways to spend mm -hmm. your time, I guess is the best way to put it. I just think the market for this game is minimal, and I have a feeling it's probably not going to sell all that well, and like I've said on the show before, that's an opportunity to maybe buy the game and never open it and keep it as a collector's item, but... I don't know how 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 does handheld software do as far as uh, oh very well does it? I mean Nintendo stuff does. right I mean right. not just random DS games but uh, well Metroid games in general yeah I mean, yeah them sealed they hold their value really yeah but well. that also comes from the the fan base having a demand for it and I don't see that happening with this game I'm sure I'm sure you know like any Nintendo game that goes out of print it'll be worth more than retail eventually I don't know if it's going to be one of the the gold mine ones. Or you know the other the other <laughs> the other uh, Nintendo handheld games that become valuable are the ones where someone figures out how to like homebrew stuff through right. like a, a gap in the like uh, what was that Cube Ninja yeah was that that? there's there's been several it was, like, games, this, it was yeah. like this nothing Ubisoft like shovelware game that no one cared about it was going for like five cents on eBay someone figured out this crack that you could like 
play like a homebrew stuff on it through it, and all of a sudden Cube Ninja was worth three hundred dollars. Yeah. It was like <laughs> it was crazy, and uh, or maybe it was a, maybe it was a region lock crack. I think that's yeah. what that was. It was, but it was it was a big deal, and all of a sudden Cube Ninja was like the most valuable uh, 3DS game. Well, the other DS thing that game. we should probably think about, and that actually segues very nicely into our next topic, is mm. that that game will likely not be playable on future systems. Yeah. Because the NX is a mobile console that you can plug into your TV. What we've said all along, by the mm-hmm. way. Don't you hate it when, like, you're right? No. And, and it, well, I really like being right. Don't you hate... <laughs> no, but don't you hate it when, like, you're right and somebody tells you you're wrong mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, well, they would know better than I would, so, yeah, I'm wrong... And then it turns out you were right in the end anyway. I'm sure there's some really technical reason you were wrong. Like that, That's usually how that interaction goes, right? Yeah. It's like, so I was right, it was this. And they're like, well, no, because this is that. I'm like, yeah, that's what I, you know. I mean, that's what happened with the NX. Everybody guessed right away what it was, that it was like a console handheld hybrid mm-hmm. that you could dock at home, play it on your TV, and then take it with you. Everyone's been saying it. All along in Nintendo, time well, converging and time again, the two platforms made the most sense. It didn't look, and the reason people thought that is because Nintendo basically said that's what it was doing like three years or two years ago. It said, We're unifying our development pipeline, mm-hmm. so we only have to develop one version of a game. And immediately the red flags went up, and everyone's like, Well, yeah, so your next platform or whatever you want to call it is going to be like a handheld console hybrid where you only have one device, but it works for both things. And sure enough, according to Eurogamer, which, look, after the mock-up of the last (laughs) NX controller we got burned so bad Mm. on, I'm very hesitant to even admit that this information is right. But Eurogamer did break the PlayStation 4 Neo information. So obviously it has sources somewhere in the development community that is willing to share information and documentation with it. And I I posted this on the site. That is a very enviable position to be in right now. Like Mm. Eurogamer has got to be over the moon over its sources right now because it has found someone who will leak them everything. Yeah. Think about it. IGN, GameSpot, Polygon. It scooped all of them twice in a row, provided this information is legit. But, you know, Nintendo will not do what Sony did and come out and say, yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're going to have to wait until September to find out if it was right. But, I mean, Eurogamer to me, and it's not even just that Eurogamer reported it, it's the fact that then Digital Foundry, which is a part of Eurogamer, which most people don't realize, but they're like a faction of Eurogamer, then jumped in and started doing, like, tech analysis. Mm-hmm. And, like, when you... It was, it was almost like that uh, that O.J. Simpson book, If I Did It. Yeah. You're like, yeah, we know, dude. Yeah, it's we like, know. <laughs> come on. Like, but when you... Look, I got information. <laughs> through the years of my career, I got information all the time. And when you get information from somebody, you try to think to yourself, okay, how reliable is this information? And once you've kind of settled on how reliable it is, then you figure out what you're going to do with it. And depending on the level of reliability, you disseminate that information accordingly out into the organization. So let's say when I was at GT and I got a leak from somebody and, or somebody emailed me or called me or I was at a bar drinking with somebody and they told me something. If I had low confidence in it, I'd tell Ryan Stevens, my right-hand man. Like I'd 
call Ryan in my office. I'll be like, this is what I heard. Don't share this with the rest of the staff yet. You know, I'm not a thousand percent confident in it, blah, blah, blah. If I got something that I, I was like 50% sure on, I'd tell like my editorial staff, I'd tell like all the other guys, Bloodworth and Patrick Morales and all those guys, like in our weekly editorial meeting, I'd be like, this is what I heard, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, adjust accordingly. If I knew it was like solid gold information, that's when I would take it to like my boss and say, hey, like this is happening. Like we need to adjust our plans based upon this. I want to do this instead of this. And this is why. And so for me to see Eurogamer disseminate that stuff out to Digital Foundry, to me that says they're really freaking confident. In, and look, when they reported the story, they didn't report it as like rumor colon this is the NX, like it was a declarative statement. The Nintendo NX is a mobile console hybrid. Like I totally paraphrase this, that's not their exact headline, but they wrote it as it was definitive. Mm -hmm. There was no question about it. And everybody picked it up. Like every outlet ran it and now every outlet's talking about it. So again, we got burned really bad by the NX mock-up controller. So I'm very nervous at myself saying that this is 100% legit, but we are going to operate for the sake of this conversation on the fact that Eurogamer's information is right. And if I were a betting man, I would, and I had to bet, like, bet on red or black, and, and black is their right, I would put my money on black. So let's talk about it. Mm. Matt, how do you feel, first of all, just about the idea of having this one platform that's both handheld and console? Um, well, I mean... Makes sense to me. I mean, it's what I thought it was going to be in the first place. Right. Um, but did you think it was going to be that in the first place because you thought that's what they should do? Or did you think it was going to be that in the first place because that's what they should do? Um, kind of both. I mean, I, 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 I was basing it partly on what they'd said, you know, in the when they were making comments about what the successor might be to the Wii U. And also, like... It has become just blatantly clear now that they've lost third-party support so hard with the Wii U that they need to put more games out every year on this on whatever this platform is going to be, and they can't keep splitting their time between the Wii, you know, the console and the handheld. So put it together. Um, you know, convergence is going to be the way they make their yearly release schedule on this thing feel complete. You know, as a you know, and it's, the thing is like. Yeah, there was a big thing coming out uh, today or yesterday where it was like people were this, somebody was tabulating like all the releases on the Wii U compared to all the releases on the other I Nintendo systems, and it's like yeah. Nintendo pretty solidly every time from about the N sixty four on puts out about between fifty and sixty games for a system. Yeah, and the the only difference was how many third party games there were. Where it's like the the Wii U has about 50, what fifty eight or so first party games, yeah. and one hundred and eighteen third party games. And the Wii had this almost the same number of first party and twelve hundred third party games. Yeah. I mean, think about. I mean, in honesty, the third party support for the Wii was pretty terrible. Yeah, like most of those twelve hundred games were just <laughs> shovelware. No, but there was no shortage of literal crap right. in that area yeah. to play on that thing if you wanted to. Right, and you know, and even the GameCube was. was Dude, in the can you imagine? Range. Can you? I can't even fathom the Wii U only has one hundred and eighteen third party games. Because look, that includes everything. That's all the indie stuff on the eShop. It's all the stupid shovelware ping pong games that you <laughs> find in the dusty bins at Best Buy. Like, that includes all of it. 
It was like, I think the lowest console before that was like five or six hundred or so. I can't even remember. Mm. But it was in like four times the Wii U is the worst before this for like third party support. Like, like it is striking how, I mean, the third parties just bailed oh, out very on this quickly system. and definitively and decisively. Yeah. yeah they and, just were out. And like, I think it's the only rational move, like this convergence idea, because it, you know I don't know how many games they put they've put out for the 3DS, but I'm assuming if you put you know your a output from from a console and your output for your handheld together onto the same platform, now you've got a release schedule for the year that's at least respectable in terms of keeping people busy on a regular basis. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't compete in the way that like oh this could be your only console. Because you're still not going to be able to play Assassin's Creed, maybe, or, or Grand Theft Auto, or what, what have you, because clearly it's not powerful enough to keep up with, you know, the upcoming S and Neo and all that. But, like, at least you, you aren't going to have these crazy barren drought. You aren't going to be in that situation like you've been in so often with Nintendo systems, where it's like, well, Nintendo releases one game of coin. Yeah, it used to be on the N64. That was like, even when, the, when the, the quality third-party stuff dried up. It was like, well, at least once a quarter, Nintendo publishes something that's totally worth playing. Yeah. And the GameCube and had you'll that, get too. lots of hours out of it. And in the Wii still had, every quarter, Nintendo would put out what they considered a major game, but now maybe only one or two out of four each year were interesting to me. Yeah. And that's where they started to really run into a problem. And I think the Wii U, uh, they improved that ratio, for sure, but it still wasn't enough. And it wasn't necessarily enough to get people to turn that system on every day. And I think if you double that up, and again, also, uh, if you make a mainline Pokemon game that you can play on your TV and has a full-fledged console integration, like, that's, a, that's an advantage. That's something I want to play. Like, well, at this point, all a Nintendo has to do now is a successful launch, in. and I know it's impossible to have it done in time, but if Pokemon Go 2, if they had that available at or close to launch, mm-hmm. or even if they just have a trailer for it around launch... Yeah. I mean, it, look... If you take the, what you've learned from Pokemon Go and combine it and make it, you know, part of a main one of the mainline games, the first mainline game that's released for the NX from that series, like you've got gold. I don't mean I don't mean Pokemon Gold. They yeah. already did that. I'm, I'm saying, <laughs> like, you know, look, I think Sun and Moon are going to sell even more than they expected because of the popularity of Pokemon Go. Um, but if you can combine that phenomenon with the actual, you know, gameplay of a real video game on your NX, a system that's designed to be taken on the go, like, that could be a game... I, I'm, I hate game-changer as a term. <laughs> um, but, like, it could I be. It. it could be. Yeah. You, know, you, know, you, you could get the attention of some of these millions of people that are running, I mean, running around parks and piers catching Magikarps all day. Like, it, like there's, there's potential there. Matt, what do you think about the fact that the mock-up that the artist did for Eurogamer, based upon the information they were given... Looks a whole hell of a lot like the Wii U gamepad. Do you think that's bad? Do you think that's a detriment to well, the NX? I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't like it because I don't like the Wii U controller very much. I think it looks a lot like an oversized Game and Watch. Or it looks like um, a, it looks like the new 3DS. Yeah. If the nub the was bottom the of same it, yeah. size, yeah. Um, look, I suspect I will play ninety percent of this thing as a console. Like as long as you can put those two have things together into a controller that feels okay, I'm happy to leave the screen on the docking thing or whatever. Like, 
That's what I'm. I'm like, look, this is this is gonna be mostly a console to me. I don't take things on the road. I'm sure much. Nintendo will put out a traditional controller. Because look, because I have look, zero, I... zero. I mean zero interest in playing the Zelda game on the go. Yeah. Not at all. I will play that on my giant plasma TV, and I will play it as a console game in my living room. I am not because it's like it's the same thing with the Vita, where I was like, well, yeah, I could take this save and I could take it on the go, and but like, why wouldn't I just wait until I get home? to my nice TV and my great sound system and play it in a far more conducive environment. I know people don't necessarily have that uh, that uh, option all the time. So, like, it's good. I'm glad the option is there. I'm not saying get rid of it. Yeah. But I know for me, um, my concern is, is the controller comfortable when it doesn't have the screen in the middle of it? Or can I buy a normal controller and just play it that way? Because the, the, the on-the-go element of this hybrid console is going to be mostly unused by me. Well, Eurogamer also said, you know, you, you can see how the controllers snap off the yeah. side there that that allows for multiplayer gaming right out of the box without having to buy an extra controller mm. but to do that like you can see right there in the drawing like one of them has an analog stick and a d-pad yeah. and the other one has an analog stick and buttons i mean still i mean yeah a d-pad is technically four buttons but yeah. like, it's not I, it's an ideal not ideal yeah, at all and, look, and then you again, gotta wonder what the you know what the you know will you be able to buy different components for that you know, like mix and match stuff? Will there be like I don't know like like I'm I'm trying to I, you know kind of like an evolution of the nunchuck idea like you know the way you could plug yeah. different accessories into the Wiimote. Right. I mean I assume that's kind of what they're after here. Will you be able to you know do a uh, maybe like do a thing where you can turn it vertically and play like a shooter that like a bullet hell shooter that way? I don't know. You know. I mean we were just watching that uh, B-roll of the Wii U, and it's really disheartening to watch that and see How sort many, of all the ideas that were never there that did never yeah. happened. Like the video call thing. Did you ever like? <laughs> no. <laughs> we have tablets for that's the thing is was daylight and a dollar short on the tablet thing. And it was a single touch, not a multi-touch. So it just, it was... I mean, look, the same thing happened with the Wii. Also, which we're this thing right now. better be easier to clean yeah, than yeah. that frickin' Wii U controller. Because, like, mine's, I mean, I try to keep mine as clean as I can, but, like, you still get, like, the weird stuff in, the, in like, the, the corners Cracks and the edges. The screen, and then I have, you can I have, never get out. Yeah, and then yeah. I have friends who, you know, have kids that, you know, just got the Wii U for their kids. And these things, like, I wouldn't touch them. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, it's just, you never get them clean again. But they did it with the Wii, too, because remember Red Steel? The first trailer for Red Steel, it showed, like, the person, like, hiding behind the couch and oh, yeah. kind of using, like, the environment in his living room as, like, cover. Mm. And then, like, the system came out and it was nothing like that. So, yeah. well, I remember, we had an argument time. about that. Uh, well, you and I didn't, but I remember an argument I had with someone else on the staff, someone at G4 about that, where like, oh, they're going to, like, the camera's going to be able to see what you're doing. I'm like, no, that's just dramatic. They're just being dramatic in this video. That's nothing. You don't have to hide behind anything. Yeah. In this. this is not a, a real life cover shooter. That's just, they're trying to make it look cool. Like, well, part and, of that was and coming they off the... Person, they would not believe me. That like, well, no, they wouldn't show that. I'm like, yes, they absolutely would. Because yeah. it's like, no, he's doing that because he's just that into the game, man. <laughs> you know, like, that's what that was. All right, so let's move on and let's talk about the hardware power. Since we already kind of got through the form factor, uh, let's talk about the hardware power. And we're going to show you some footage here. So, reportedly, the NX is powered by the Tegra X1 chip. And the Tegra X1 chip is what is in NVIDIA's Shield micro console. So... We have gathered some footage of games that run running on NVIDIA Shield and that same chip. Uh, if we can roll that, Sam. So I don't want you to think we're running NX footage. Obviously, we're not. But this is footage running on the same chip. 
um, that reportedly the NX is going to use. So the first thing that strikes out to me, and look, the Shield is still out there. It's an active platform. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been retired. It hasn't gone away. But every game for the Shield is from last generation. And look, Nintendo has way better relationships with third parties than NVIDIA ever could. And so Nintendo can obviously ask for things beyond what NVIDIA is asking for. But with this chip, this is basically what NVIDIA is getting. It's getting all the old ports from last generation and some PC stuff thrown in here and there. And I know you probably can't see it because you're watching a stream and it's 720p and even on the archive on the site, 720p. But having watched these trailers myself today, I can tell you that these games do not look as good as the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 versions did. Mm -hmm. The textures are a little muddier. There aren't quite as many polygons in some of the objects. The environments are a little more barren. So what NVIDIA is getting out of the shield is, at least with its partnerships, is not up to scratch with last gen. The very best games from last gen. Now, I mean, look, this isn't Uncharted 2, man, or Uncharted mm -hmm. 3. Like, none of these games are up to that level. And again, it goes back to the relationships, and NVIDIA, you know, is obviously not known as a platform holder like Nintendo is. Nintendo could obviously get much better games and more recent games to come to his platform. But on a pure technical level, this is roughly what you're going to get. How do you feel about that, Matt? Uh, it's a shame. And I also wonder, like... And then, look, there is, are, is, there are is, is saying Zelda... that the Tegra X2 could be mm -hmm. the processor, which... Would... Is, Zelda, is Zelda NX going to really be markedly different from Zelda Wii U at this point? It, I mean, it doesn't appear that way. Some would argue the Wii U is slightly more powerful than Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. I honestly don't know that I agree with that. I don't know, because I was hoping this would at least be sort of like a PlayStation 3.5. Yeah, I know? mean, on a technical level... I don't think there's any game on Wii U that can match Uncharted 2 or 3. I can't Artistically, think, I can't think sure. Artistic, yeah, but in terms of but raw... How many polys are you yeah. pushing? How many shaders are you firing off? Like, How many effects are on screen at a time? How are the frame rates? I think the only game that you could maybe even try to make that comparison with would be Zelda. And yeah. I, don't, I don't think it matches up. But Zelda goes below 30 yeah. regularly on Wii U. So, I mean... I, at this point, I'm, I'm, I would just say that the Wii U is pretty much on par with PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, depending on the talent of the developer. You know, mm -hmm. Naughty Dog does right to the metal mostly. So does Nintendo, typically. Um, I would say the Wii U probably was more powerful than Xbox, Xbox 360. Maybe yeah. by a smidge. Maybe, yeah. But, yeah. So this is what we're, we can expect, roughly... From NX. And keep in mind, you know, if you're playing it on the go, it's freaking amazing. Mm -hmm. Because the PS, the uh, Vita couldn't do this. No. Vita games don't look this good. It is, you know, that chip is more powerful than Vita, for sure. You blow Vita up onto a big TV screen, it's not pretty. And hopefully this is more comfortable. Right. And so we're looking at... I mean, to me, if this is really the chip they're using for NX, the whole talk about it's as powerful as PS4 and Xbox One, but not as powerful as Scorpio and Neo is bullcrap. Like, if this is really the chip they're using, it's not even as powerful as PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Mm -hmm. Maybe 
nipping at the heels of Xbox One, but not really. Is that good enough? I don't know. I mean, like, it, it begs the question of, like, if you're not going to give us at least some kind of notable power jump in terms of being a console versus being a handheld, like, what do you think, how do you think this is going to turn things around? You know, what, what's going to change here? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is that I think Nintendo, Nintendo strategy is the right one. Like, as much as I would the love... The overall strategy, yeah, but I'm like, I, I know you can't make it too expensive, but like... I honestly would pay money for an ultra-powerful Nintendo console. I would have no problem yeah. with that at all. But the problem is, is that most people us. aren't like us. Right. Like, it's just... Most people would just say, okay, well, I can buy this, or I can buy the Scorpio or the Neo. And I already know how many hundreds or thousands of games are available for PlayStation 4 already and for Xbox One. I like Nintendo's games, but that's pretty much all I'm going to play on this thing, and most people would balk at that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Nintendo's problem over the last couple of generations, a big part of it has been that they've had to support two platforms. Like, it just... No matter how big your company is or how much money it makes, it's impossible to support two platforms with enough software to make both of them successful. Mm. It just is. Like, it's just uh, so. It, I mean, you got to realize all these teams that have been working. Yeah, the teams that work on 3ds. Be, and, I, I, well, I just don't understand what's going to be on this thing. Everything. Every what thing? Every every franchise Nintendo makes. Well, yeah. Mario but what about Kart, beyond that? Where's the third party going to go? Are they going to make their own like Tegra compatible versions yeah. of this? Or is See, it, that's where it is. Gets it just going to really be anything rough. that has a PC version is going to be able to run on medium to low settings on this thing? On a, like I don't like what's the. What, well, I don't you understand can see what, what Nvidia has managed to get out of the third parties for Shield, and it's last gen stuff. I mean, basically, why is the Shield selling? Not well, but it is. Look, it's. Nvidia doesn't have first Nvidia, party games. Nvidia doesn't have Nintendo, but like Nvidia has no first party games at all. Yeah. There's no exclusives on Shield. None. So that's totally apples and oranges. I, mean, I just I just hope that like you know I guess enough people want a powerful handheld as opposed to an underpowered console, because that seems to be what you're buying here more than anything else. It really is what is you're right. You're it looks to me that you are buying the most awesome handheld gaming platform ever. Mm-hmm. At the expense of not having a true Nintendo console. Yeah. That, that seems to be where we are. If it's not that other chip, it's this chip. Oh, and to follow up on the segue that I tried to hit earlier but totally got lost in the mosh. So talking about Metroid Prime Federation for us and how if you mm -hmm. buy a game and like will hold its value or whatever. Initial reports are that this is not backwards mm -hmm. compatible with any other Nintendo platforms, which makes sense yeah. if it's true that it's cartridge-based. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't think it's a death knell like it maybe would have been several years ago. Like, it's, you know, cartridge media is fairly cheap now. They can probably get, like, 32 gigs on something. It's not going to, like, kill them. Uh, it is weird. I, I mean, it, think it, about how much a 32-gig SD card costs right now, though. Yeah. It's still pretty spendy. And look, they're buying it in bulk, so they get it a lot cheaper. Yeah, I mean, I got a 32 gig flash drive for uh, like 15 bucks oh, on really? Amazon. I mean, it was on sale, but right. it was like, you know, you, you figure they could get it for 10 bucks. Like, I don't. That's think, expensive. I, I mean, though. I don't think we're going to be. You know, it's not going to be like the N64 hour. We're paying like 89 dollars for these things. Right. You know, I don't think it's going to end up like that. 
But um, is it going to be, you know, are they going to be 3DS prices? I don't think so. I think they're going to be higher. Oh, no. Uh-huh. Sure. But, that's, but there again, that's another thing. That's a good thing that you just brought up. How do you price the games? Right. Because if it really is a handheld system, which is kind of what both of us have come to the conclusion of, it's more of a handheld that works with a TV than a console that you can take out of the house with mm-hmm. you. I mean, that's re- my instinct on it, is that I, I, you sell this as, like, holy shit, you can hold this in your hand. Right. No, I agree with that. I think that's how it should be marketed, probably. Mm-hmm. And I think most people are ultimately going to look at it that way, because, you know, you blow it mm-hmm. up on a screen. And again, these games that we were looking at, running on Shield, those are, like, 720p, mm-hmm. 1080p, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I feel like... There's good and bad to this. To me, the good part is the unifying of the development pipeline. Mm-hmm. Every game that they make is for quote unquote both console right. and handheld. Like that. No, should, that was absolutely necessary. It There's is, no and that should allow Nintendo to get out way more software than mm-hmm. it usually does. It won't have the user base split. It's just Nintendo now. Yeah. It's not like Nintendo handheld and Nintendo console. And it is true that, like, you know, I have semi-regularly continued to play my 3DS uh, over the years, and but, like, while I before I bought a Wii U, I didn't really miss having a Nintendo console. Yeah. So maybe that is the, ang- the correct angle. Maybe that is, you know, maybe that is where your hardcore fan base is and where they have the most pleasant memories and experiences is... You know, whether you support or loved or were blind to the Wii U's faults or you disliked it and you wish it was was a much better system or something you hadn't wasted your money on, whatever end of that spectrum is, I feel like most of those people can still agree that they love their 3DS. Yeah. Here's the other angle, too, is that look at the sales of the 3DS versus the sales of the Wii U. Mm -hmm. So, like we were saying earlier, it is smarter to market this thing as a handheld because you still have a market there. If you're like, this is a successor to and the... you have no competition. Right. If you say, this is a successor to the 3DS, right. suddenly people are like, oh, the next Nintendo handheld. And granted, you're not going to get all those people who own a 3DS to buy the NX, just like mm. all the people who own the DS didn't buy the 3DS. It's do a you continue shrinking the, market. Do you continue the DS name with this, or do you no. call it something new? I don't know. But I think you, you do definitely market You don't call it a Wii. I think the first time you show this, your first trailer or whatever, the first thing you show is someone playing it like on a park bench or something. Mm-hmm. And then you show them playing it. Maybe you show them playing Pokemon Go on outside on a park bench at a restaurant or whatever. And then at the end of the day, you show them coming back and plugging it into the base and then continuing the game on the TV. You don't do it in reverse because you want the market to associate the NX with the handheld and not fiscally, mm, right. for, to be fiscally smart, you want them to, to equate it to the handheld and not mm. the console. Because your console yeah. market's pretty much done. Yeah, you want to make it a handheld that does all these other things. But even, look... to a console that, like, you, all, like, it's a console, but it's underpowered, but you can also take it to the park. It's like, well, this is like a handheld like we've always made. Like, we've never let you down with the handhelds. Right, exactly. And now you can play, you know, I mean, everybody loves a Super Game Boy. Yeah. I think, mean, yeah. And that market's I, shrinking. I, mean, I, can see, I can see that initial video right down to the tasteful fern next to the couch. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. And uh, look, they're, they're losing market share on their handheld business, too. Like, yeah. 3DS sold basically half of what the DS did. The DS was a phenomenon. I mean, it's, you'll, they'll never yeah. hit that again. It's never going to happen again. But still, at half of that, 
even if you cut down off the 3DS, that's still like, you know, 30 or 40 million units. Mm-hmm. Like, Nintendo will be over the moon if they oh, yeah. sell that many NX. Like, I think the, uh, especially if they're now charging $60 for each piece of software instead of the $39.99. Right. Well, it's like, I, you know, I've said for a long time, I, was like, I you know, I'm sure they won't call it this, but I would have called it the Nintendo Entertainment System. Yeah. Like, I think it needs Maybe to, they still it will. Needs to literally know. be that in a way that no Nintendo system has been since the original well, It also makes sense, because it's not just a handheld or a console, right. it's both now. It's and, an entertainment system. Right. And if they're doing, you know, if there's going to be no backwards compatibility, they have to be hitting the virtual console hard. Yeah. So I think, you know, you tie it in with the history of Nintendo, you tie in the idea that, like, was it a Nintendo game? Did you love a Nintendo game at some point in your life? You can play it on this. Yeah. It's on here. Like, we, we, you know, through their virtual console stuff. And I think the biggest act or ask for me and Don't is, make me buy that shit again. Right. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. It's like, look, they have the data. If Microsoft could do backwards compatibility on Xbox One with Xbox 360 just by right. looking at your account... It's Don't saying, make me pay another dollar or something for Link to the Past again. Exactly. Like, all that stuff needs to carry over, yeah. like... I'm not buying all that crap again. I'm not. It also needs a freaking hard drive over 30 gigabytes. That is insane, dude, in this day and age, that your hard drive in your console is 30 gigs. Mm. Dude, I have an SD card in that camera right there that's like 64 gigs. A little stinking SD card. And it doesn't even have to write very quickly. No. No. It just has to be base flash memory. It doesn't even have to be as good as that one that's in the camera. Yep. All right, so to sum it up, Based upon this new, hopefully, well, I don't even know if hopefully true, but likely true information, are you more excited or less excited for the NX? I don't know. I mean, I guess kind of less because I'm not as interested in handheld stuff. But, like, my main question is, like, I need to see what the games look like on this thing. And, like, yeah, we've seen Zelda. But now I'm like, is Zelda going to look better on the Wii U? Like, I don't know. Like... If the only real advantage of the NX version is you can take it on the go, that doesn't do anything for me. So maybe I stick with the Wii U version. I would I don't still know. probably buy the NX version. Just have the option. I need to, take to see it on what else, what the other games on this thing. I mean, basically. I could see being on a plane and playing Breath of the Wild. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. The other question is battery life. That's a big battery question. Battery life about is a big it. question. Like, how for long sure. does it last when it's pulled off um, the dock? But again, like, see, my problem with stuff like the Vita and stuff, and like, you know, I do play 3DS stuff on planes, you know, whenever, you know, when I travel, you know, when I'll, that's the other thing, is like, when I travel, I generally play handheld stuff that is dedicated handheld stuff, because, like, say I'm playing, you know, I, uh, stuff I've played on planes in the last year includes stuff like Fire Emblem, uh, Pokemon X, um, a little bit of Codename Steam, uh, that stupid pocket jockey thing they yeah. put up that, like, is pocket really, it's jockey. just, it's incredibly dumb, but I can't stop playing it. Yeah, you so, like, but I play stuff that I can't experience in a better, quote, you know, for me, better form at home. Yeah. And I, in, like, if I was playing, you know, Breath of the Wild on a plane, all I'd be thinking is, I wish I was playing this on a 64-inch screen with my good sound system instead of my stupid headphones that I can still hear the whine of the plane's engines right. through. Yeah. So I would not de- degrade my experience in that game by playing it on the go like that. So to me... Unless it actually runs smoother and looks vis- visibly better than the Wii U version, the Zelda NX version doesn't hold any interest to me yeah. versus the Wii U version. 
But that doesn't mean the system doesn't hold it. I mean, if they show a bunch of other stuff that's all, you know, only on that system, not on the Wii U, then I'm like, holy crap, I need that Pokemon game and I need that Pikmin 4 and I need that Star Fox game that looks like a, an apology for the last <laughs> one. And, oh my God, they're actually doing a side-scrolling Metroid game. Like, that'll get me in the box. No question. I mean, it's, you know, all you got to do is show me the right titles. It's, yeah. all about, it's always about the games. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, at least it's not going to look bad. Yeah. I would say... I mean, Metal Gear Solid... Metal Gear Revengeance still looks good yeah, yeah. On that yeah, footage, for sure. in that footage. I would say that uh, it's, the, it's the right decision for Nintendo. It's making the right choice for its business. Mm-hmm. I would say, for me personally, after discovering this information, I am less excited for NX. I, I gravitate towards Nintendo's technical boundary pushing stuff more mm. than it's handheld stuff. I have a lot of respect for the games Nintendo makes on handhelds. They're great, but I do not enjoy them as much as I do Nintendo's console games. So for me, selfishly and personally, I would rather it be a more robust console mm-hmm. that can at least compete with current gen. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I agree with you on that. I think, I mean, I, I think it makes sense but I, w- I personally wish it was something more. Just make a just make a powerful box with controllers attached to it, and let me play a Mario game with modern hardware for the first time in 15 years. Right. You yeah. Know? And like. But I get it. But I get yeah. It was like just the the thing that I want doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right choice for Nintendo to make as a business. I also wonder too if a lot of the teams who have been making handheld software for Nintendo all this time are going to have a huge hurdle to get over mm. trying to create like high definition games. Somewhat, although because I, are you going to be able to get away with making like no blocky like? I don't think so. But I also think that cuts both ways in that you might some of these handheld only devs might be let loose yeah. on this on this new world. Maybe That's true. You know, much like what I've been saying about Gorilla with, you know, working on Killzone forever and now we're getting Horizon Zero Dawn, maybe we're going to see some some brilliance out of these hand, previously only handheld devs that they just couldn't do on that platform before. And I'm sure Nintendo has probably already developed a proprietary engine that's going yeah. to be used by every single first-party game for NX. Why not? And just iterate on it as, as new developers they are working on it, discover new things, just add it to the database, and let's... Let, just let people keep throwing their coins into the well until that well is full of money. So, and I'm very interested if, like, you know, uh, what the third party's support's going to look like, and how, again, how easy. I've said it before, but how easy it is to make the current games work on this. That's thing. a huge problem. A huge mm-hmm. problem. I mean, who? What developers want to develop for last gen tech? It, by then, by then it'll be like last last gen tech because you're gonna have Scorpio. I'm thinking and you're gonna Neo. get. I'm thinking you're gonna get a lot of PC ports to this yeah. thing. Basically, I mean, like you said, it's where it's the Nvidia Shield chip. So, I you know, I would think I don't know anything about porting. I don't know anything about that kind of programming. So, like, I might be totally wrong here, but I would think your tactic there would be, you know, we can make this, if we can make this thing run on low to medium settings on a PC, on a, you know, a, a lower end PC, we can make it run on this thing. Yeah. And maybe that, maybe that won't be so hard. I mean, if Nintendo's, if Nintendo's aware of their situation, then they would be making this hardware to be easy to use in that regard. And, on a side note, if you think about it, with the way the Scorpio and the Neo work, just like PCs, mm-hmm. where it's just this architecture and it just kind of scales down. Yeah. 
Maybe there is a place for the Maybe. NX there. I mean, granted, some of those games may look really freaking blocky. Might be rough. And some really flat. It's just like running the piece, a PC game on, like, if, low settings. But if the price is right up against these $400, $350 systems, who knows? Yeah. There's a lot to learn. A lot of questions. Even though this looks like it's probably the real deal, yeah. there's still a ton of questions. Oh, yeah. And, you know, allegedly or reportedly, September is supposed to be when we hear about this. Well, I think was it Pactor said? Which is only if, was it Pactor said? Away. If you don't hear about, if you don't see the NX by the end of September, it is it not coming out, out in March. Yeah, I think that's dead on. Yeah, so sure. we should have to wait much longer—six weeks, seven weeks, maybe—before yeah. we can finally get our look at this and all the conjecture and all the embarrassment of fawning over fake yeah. mock-ups. I'll stop playing we'll No Man's Sky past. briefly for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'll be done with it by then, I think. You think? Yeah, I think so. I'll see. I'll have seen all eighteen quintillion planets. Well, I don't think you'll ever do that, but I think you'll be tired by the time you hit planet number like three million, maybe. That's a generous estimate. <laughs> all right, it's time to move on to our trailer of the week. As always, start getting those questions in for our Q and A session at the end of the show. Uh, trailers this week, pretty slim. Um, we wanted to talk about Sonic, or we probably would have used Sonic's trailer as a trailer of the week, but we wanted to discuss that. So the trailer we've chosen this week is for Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Uh, we talked earlier about how they had a panel at Comic-Con 2016 where they talked about the game. One of the things that they showed off is basically a home base ship that you can go back to and you can develop and kind of all your sorties are sent out from there. It's been in Call of Duty games before. It's not the first time it's been there, but it looks like they have blown it out big time for Infinite Warfare. Let's have a look. Welcome to CSV-141, the UNSA Carrier Retribution. Designed with realism and function in mind, familiar layouts of modern-day naval carriers and spacecraft combined to create a gritty, raw environment grounded in reality. And as Captain Nick Reyes, players will take the helm of the warship and lead its crew on a perilous journey across our vast solar system. The Retribution acts as the game's central hub, where players will prep, deploy, and return from missions as the action unfolds in real time. Players will lead their ship and crew across the main storyline or on optional side missions, where additional upgrades can be earned to help them fight enemy forces that have attacked our world and threaten our very way of life. The Retribution's flight deck is an extremely active place. Reminiscent of present-day carriers, airbase crews work around the clock to maintain and resupply aircraft, launching to and returning from combat. Donning iconic naval jerseys with each color designating a specific critical role aboard the vessel, crew members will engage with the player directly. Their interactions range from short gestures to more instructional conversations designed to push the narrative forward and keep players immersed in the world around them. Solar wind should be steady. Good hunting, Captain. Thanks, A.T. Like its crew, the Retribution has a personality of its own, with a rich character arc that unfolds throughout the progression of the story. Launch in three, two, one. There it is. Yep. Pretty excited about that game, and I didn't think I would be. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I wasn't before E3, but once they showed it at E3, and they showed, like, the, the demo that went out into space, mm -hmm. inside... Zero gravity grenades, hop in a ship, fly out, back into space for dogfighting. I was like, sold. Grappling hook. I'm there. Yeah, I'm, I'm all good. So I'm excited for that game. I don't know if you guys are. It does seem like, I will say, there's more interest on Sifted 
for Infinite Warfare than there was for Black Ops 3. Hmm. I'll just say that right out of the gate. Just looking at the number of one-ups you guys give, the content for Infinite Warfare, it seems like some of you guys are starting to get on board a little bit. So let's see. Looks like we've got a ton of questions in here already. I saw one right away that I wanted to answer. It was a question about announcing uh, the NX at E3. Um, oh, crap. I lost it already. There's so many. I saw that, too. Where did that go? Was it basically it was like a mis- was it a mis- oh was it cheater hater? If these NX rumors are true, was it a smart decision to not show the NX at E3? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Good find. Um, man, that's a good question. Yeah, I think it was a good, if, they, if these are true, it was a good idea to not show it at yeah. E3 because. When you're at E3, you get stacked up against all those other games. And people are just going to be like, here's Horizon Zero Dawn. Mm-hmm. Here's an NX game. <laughs> bum, bum, yeah, bum. You, want, you want your own stage for that. Yeah, I mean, when they have their own event in September, or their own direct or whatever the hell they're going to do. Because very little of TGS is going to look better than that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 exactly. Sorry, Koei. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, yeah, you're right. If this information is correct, Nintendo made the right decision to not show the NX at E3. And again, if this information is correct, I'm sure that's exactly what Nintendo was thinking was, especially once the rumblings started coming out, because, you know, they talked to Reggie during E3, Bloomberg did, and they tried to get him to answer, you know, what's, what's the power level of the NX? And he's like, well, you know, we don't get into the power and talk about the teraflops and whatever. So it's pretty Which obvious. Means it's not powerful. Right. And it's pretty obvious that Nintendo was hearing all the rumblings about these consoles that are even more yeah. powerful than the consoles that the NX, if this information is true, already isn't as powerful as. So yeah, like if I'm Reggie, Nintendo of Japan, NOA, and I start hearing that they're gonna show Scorpio and Neo at E3, no way mm-hmm. in hell do I show NX at E3. Not happening. So, yeah, I would say that that was a smart move on Nintendo's part. Um, Nolan Elric asks, No doubt X-Play is the best gaming show ever on TV, but what is the second? I, I think Shane might have some opinions on uh, another show. Well, yeah, Game Trailers, Game Trailers TV, TV. Jeff Keighley, yeah. Dude, uh, I mean, we broke, like, ten exclusives every week on Game Trailers TV with Jeff Keighley. Yeah. It wasn't as entertaining as X-Play. And I enjoyed working on X-Play way more than I enjoyed working on Game Trailers TV. But, yeah. I mean, and third for me would be Starcade. Like yeah, I, I was also going to say Starcade. Yeah, I still love Starcade. Like, it was the first ever eSports show. Yeah. Like, way back in, like, the 70s and 80s. And, like, that, I saw... I could still watch episodes of that and enjoy oh, yeah. them. When I saw, uh, I saw arcade games on Star- uh, Starcade when I was a kid that I never saw in real arcades. It was, you know, I don't think I ever saw Arabian in person until like, I'd gone to, I went to like a retro arcade show yeah. thing years and years and years later. Like that and like Puyan, the thing with the pig and the grappling hook stuff. And, like, there was tons of games. Rock and Rope, I'd never seen that. Uh, Congo yeah. Bongo. Uh, I'd never seen tons. You know, that was the, oh, my only experience with some of those arcade games was watching them on Starcade. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's pretty clear cut. Yeah. X-Play, GTTV, Starcade. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll buy. And, uh, you know, I mean, also props to uh, Electric Playground. Yeah. Uh, it's still still going. Yeah, I, mean, I don't even know how that's possible. Vic, that's Vic, insane. Vic Lucas still still running that show. I mean, his review's on the run now, but it's, right. it's a continuous production cycle from 
six. Yeah. The problem I with that show... That's the longest-running video game show, ever. show of yeah. all time. Yeah. The problem with that show is that for the first big chunk of it, it had Tommy Tallarico on it. Yeah, And, well. like, man, like, I like that guy. He's a really nice guy. He's Tom, a lot of fun. Tommy Tallarico is a good dude. His heart's in the right place. But he should have not been reviewing video games. His review... And I, I even wonder a lot of times if he was just trolling. Just trying to get people um, to watch his show or whatever. I, don't I know. remember. Look, his reviews were so out there. Well, well, yeah, but half the amusement of that show was watching Vic react to it. It was, you know? yeah. But like that's why I'm wondering if it was all contrived. And I don't think it was because, like, if you talk to Tommy about some of this stuff, because I I did a couple times. Because um, the first time I ever met him, I went up and I because I was in the press finally, and I saw him, and I went up and I said, "Hey, I'm a big fan." And, the first video game music I ever played in my car was off of the Terminator Sega CD soundtrack. I just stuck the disc <laughs> in my CD player and, uh-huh. and play, that was my, the first music I ever played in my car from a video game. And he, and he instantly loved me forever after that, basically. So I was like, okay, we're friends. Yeah. And like, um, like, I think a couple times I asked him, because look, even as a fighting game community person who is tired of watching Smash Brothers Melee in the middle of my tournament final Sundays... Um, he gave like Smash Brothers like a two yeah. out of ten or something. He hated Nintendo, and I was like, "What?" He always gave. Yeah, Nintendo he, he didn't like scores. Nintendo at all. And I, but I was, I was like, "But I, you know, I love Smash Brothers back in the day and played it incessantly." And I was just like, "Really? Like, really?" His and review scores hinged on the most insignificant well, his, well, his, things. He'd he, be like, "I like the gun." Well, he so didn't. He didn't like. Sma- a 10. If I remember right, he didn't like Smash Brothers because they didn't use a full orchestra for the music. That's, that's that right. Was his big, that's right. That was his big criticism. Yeah. And, uh, Again, I love Tommy. Oh, I tons just, of fun. He just shouldn't have been reviewing t- I have a good Tommy story from back in the day where um, he used to have parties at his house. His mansion, you mean? His mansion, his crazy mansion. With his and Ferrari would, up front. And he would lure you into like a back area, like near the kitchen, like in the back room. And he'd be like, dude, check out that thing. out." He's like, I got this new thing out there, out in the back. Like, check this. Like, look at, So you look at this like black window. You couldn't see it because nighttime because you couldn't see anything. And he'd hit some button and suddenly floodlights would hit. And like a, a and like a roar would play, and he's got like a life size velociraptor like right there, like <laughs> jumping at the window, and you're like, like like that was his like that was his like jump scare. Only thing. Tommy would <laughs> invest that much money and effort into a gag. So uh, I I I had I heard stories about that. I never saw that in person. Yeah. But uh, I heard the velociraptor gag was uh, one of the favorites. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, here's one from Odin5. Father Shane, when is the sifted t-shirts and swag coming? Any news? Did you watch the new show, Geif? By any chance? Hmm. The clue in the show. They're coming very soon. In fact, no, I'm not going to mm. show you guys anything. Dragon we, have to, Sla- we have to wait. Dragon Slayer 91, what is the progress on achievements, Father Shane? Vin finished all the art... Uh, I think Brent is just getting them into the system and ready to go. Like, honestly, it should be, like, any day now. And that's being completely truthful. Like, I everything's done. We're just waiting for Brent to uh, put the icing on the cake at this point. So they're very close. Should be very, very soon. Uh, what else? Here, Nolan Elric. First Call of Duty I've been interested in since Modern Warfare 2. There mm. you go. Looks like it is working. W. Matthew asks, do you think the games press has a reason to be at PAX? They can see everything at a bunch of private events. PAX has been a community-focused event. YouTubers being exempt because they go for footage since they are not allowed to capture D3. So should PAX be a press 
a, a loud event. Well, first of all, YouTubers are allowed to capture at E3. YouTubers at this point have the same access to E3 as everybody else. As long as you have X amount mm -hmm. of subscribers on your channel, like T. Martin, <laughs> the nefarious, notorious T. Martin, right. he can go to E3 and get the same access that Matt and I can get. So that... Uh, better in some cases. Yeah, in fact, a lot of ways, he'll be up on the top, like, drinking cocktails while Matt and I are down on the floor sweating. So to say, like, YouTubers don't get privileged like the press, they, in fact, get more privilege now than anyone. So that's sort of a misnomer. Now, as to whether YouTubers or the press should be covering packs, yeah. Like, I don't know if they should be there, like, clogging up lines, like, setting up their cameras and or shutting down a station to capture direct feed footage, but they should be there to cover, at the very least, the cultural angle of mm -hmm. PAX. And to me, that's the best part about PAX, yeah. the culture, the people. Yeah, we always tried, on Expo, we tried to make the PAX shows about the fans and about what right. it was like to be there and talking to Mike and Jerry and talking to indie... We also tried to feature, like, indie games that we wouldn't necessarily put in, like, an E3 show or anything like You know, we tried to make it very focused on stuff you could only get at PAX to kind of to to speak to the question because we were very conscious I think of justifying our presence there because it was such a community event that we didn't want to make it feel like we were just sort of horning in because like oh we can get some free free foot you know not it was free because you got to pay everything to be there but it's a big production but like you know we had to have a reason to be there that felt like it felt like part of the PAX idea. And I think we mostly pulled that off. It also gave us a chance to talk about board games on the show, which we never got to do otherwise. Uh, let's see. Short Raver, either of you picking up the Xbox One Slim next week? Nope. Nope. Got an Xbox <laughs> One. In fact, I had my Xbox One unplugged. I've told this story before on the show forever. And I finally just plugged it back in <laughs> to play We Happy Few. So... Wow. I uh, I actually my Xbox One has been getting some use recently uh, with uh, the backwards compatibility uh, Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, which is uh, still great. So I have no reason to buy the Slim, even though they're saying the hardware is kind of upgraded mm -hmm. in some subtle way. I don't. But, I, don't I don't have a 4K TV. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't either. I have a 1080p TV, yeah. and my Xbox One still works fine. I have no reason to get the Slim. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll I'm no longer sadly on the list to get free hardware. Like I no. used to when I was at GT. Like if a new console or handheld or whatever came out, I always got one. Then I had to give it to the site, which <laughs> was always painful. It's like, wait a minute, I want that, but. Uh, that was all about editor editorial integrity. Like, we paid for our own hardware, and anything that was sent to us from the publishers, we just threw into the pool. And then, sadly, it was so funny, too. Literally like, threw into the pool yeah. on the roof. Like, <laughs> and then it was funny, like, you know, all those years that I was getting all this stuff from all the publishers, and I was just giving it into the library at GT, and then GT closed down, and then all the people who had worked there for, like, a year got to take all the stuff that I put into the pool. I was like, like, Brandon didn't call me and, like, come over and, like, pick through this stuff with us. Like, that was a little discouraging. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, that's all the stuff I put in there. And some of the guys who were at GT when GT closed had only been there for a short period of time or had worked as, like, video editors for, like, seven years and a part of content for, like, a year. And they got to take, like, all the games and systems that I put into the library. But... Whatever, it is what it is. Hmm. Uh, let's see. 
I think that might be it. Yeah. Nolan Ellerk asks how I'm feeling about the new DC trailers. Um, here's the thing. Uh, I enjoyed the Justice League trailer and the Wonder Woman trailer. I think the Wonder Woman trailer looks better than the Justice League footage they showed. I'm glad that they're actually letting Ben Affleck smile in the Justice League footage, <laughs> and there's a couple jokes in there. Yeah. Um, uh, the fl- I, I like the f- I don't like the Flash's outfit, but I do like the character they're going with for him. Here's the thing: um, it's not just the humor and the tone in, in the, the Snyder movies so far that's been the problem. The problem is that like and and uh, I saw a YouTube video about this, and I can't remember whose it was. I think it was like Nerd Writer, maybe. But like it, he was he, he didn't phrase it the way I would, but basically like Snyder is similar to David Goyer who writes those movies uh, in that they both write for big moments, like trailer moments, and they have a real problem with earning them in the scenes and dialogue and themes that precede them. And so, like, you get a lot of beautiful... There's a ton of beautiful shots in Batman vs. Superman, but there's not a lot of character, not a lot of storytelling, there's not any real reason to care. And just because, like, Ben Affleck gets to be funnier in Justice League doesn't say to me that they're solving that problem. They need... they Zack Snyder needs to learn how to tell a story. And if they do that I, that, I think Justice League will be really good because Affleck's a, Affleck, I thought, was a great Batman. I look, I'm really looking forward to his solo movie, uh, which is rumored to take place almost entirely in Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Uh, not based on the, ga- the game or the comic book, but sort of taking inspiration from all the Arkham stuff. And it also gives him an opportunity to showcase all these villains. Uh, and that would be cool. Because I trust Ben Affleck to do right by that. But... Um, as much as I liked what I saw in that footage, like there's a long way to go to make that movie good because you still got to get to the, to the Snyder prism of Edgelord, and I don't know if it's going to be able to do that. Um, but it's a good, it's a step in the right direction, positive, and I think Wonder Woman has real potential. I really like that trailer, so fingers crossed. All right, before we go, we have one new addition to the Sifted Elite Ooh. crew. Bring him up. It is the Suicide King! Woohoo! Thanks, my man. We appreciate it. This is one of the members on the site who did it little by little. He donated $10, $10, $10, finally got himself up over the limit. So thank you so much, Suicide King. You're also a great member of the site and on the community. So mad props, my friend. And that's going to do it for Game Face. We'll be back next week. You guys yeah. are both going to be here. I know in yeah. August we're going to lose Sam, our TriCaster operator, for a couple of weeks. So we're trying to figure out what we're going to do during that period. It might be Matt and I just sitting here with one camera. We'll hmm. see. <laughs> but everyone's got to take vacation every once in a while. So uh, we'll figure it out, and we'll make sure we got shows for you guys. during. Not you. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> the idea of me taking a vacation is just complete. I don't even think about stuff like don't that forget, anymore. Don't forget, you're here forever. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it. Thanks to everybody on the stream for asking the great questions. Uh, Believe it or not, we do kind of keep one eye on the chat at all times while we're recording the show. Matt's actually really good at that. I I see you sometimes, but uh, yeah. So I try to do it. I try to do it during B roll, so it looks like a so they can't see us. Then he always cuts back, and our eyes are like up at the screen instead of looking at the camera. So uh, thanks again for everyone on the stream. Thanks to you, Sifters, for supporting uh, the site. Really appreciate it. Hope everyone has a great weekend. Game Face is up and out.